Soldiers of campaign learned to scale rock, ski, and survive, preparing for the war they were about to fight. The pivotal moment came, as the senator pointed out, in February 1945. Surprise Allied attack in the mountains in Italy. Imagine, it's pitch black, punishing cold. The mission high in the mountains that hinged on the skill, strength, and stamina that could have only been gained in a place like this. They're more than ready. They were more than ready that day and since then. American soldiers of the 10th Mountain Division scaled that 1,800-foot cliff at night, caught the Germans by surprise, captured, captured key positions, and broke through the German defense line at a pivotal point in the war. Just imagine, I mean it sincerely, I say this as a father of a man who won the Bronze Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. Imagine the courage, the daring, and the genuine sacrifice, genuine sacrifice they all made. We passed the, look, what I ran on, I said we're going to deal with energy. Right. And, and the energy problem, we're going to deal with the whole notion of global warming. We passed $368 billion worth of help, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, seven hundred million dollars, billion dollars off the sidelines in investment. So what's your message to Democrats? who like you, who like what you've done, but are concerned about your age and the demands of the job. Well, they're concerned about whether or not I can get anything done. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. Not a joke. I believe I can beat Donald Trump again. Do you think Putin is a rational actor? I think he is a rational actor who's miscalculated significantly. It hadn't been, there, there has, there is no there's no guarantee that they're going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. We'll, look, think about what's happened. Our reporting, CNN's reporting, and the Washington Post reporting suggests the prosecutors think they could, they have enough to charge your son, Hunter, uh, for tax crimes and a false statement about a gun purchase. Um, personally and politically, um, how do you react to that? Well, first of all, I, I'm, I'm proud of my son. We, we, we passed so much legislation that significantly makes a, makes a point about, you know, for example, the American Rescue Plan, the, the legislation to deal with inflation, um, the 
the Inflation Act. By the way, let's get straight why I went. I didn't go to one about oil. I went about making sure that we made sure that we weren't going to walk away from the Middle East. But not a single penny. No, I mean it, not a single penny. If Republican wins, inflation is going to get worse. It's that simple. The Times <laughs> references a story Biden has often told about having his house burned down while the first lady was inside, but it turns out it was just a kitchen fire that was quickly put under control by firefighters. The president repeated that story just yesterday. Lightning struck in a little pond behind my house, came up through the ground into the air conditioning system, ended up generating thick black smoke, literally, literally that of those proportions. And from the basement to the third floor, the attic, everything was ruined. And the kitchen floor, we almost lost a couple firefighters, they tell me, because the kitchen floor was the burning between the beams in, in, in the house, in addition to almost collapsed into the basement. That means they're going to repeal the $2,000 cap on prescription drugs. Gone. Cap on insulin. Gone. At 35 bucks. Savings on health care premiums. Average of $400 a person. Gone. Savings on your utility bills. Gone. Corporate minimum tax of 15%. By the way, they got very upset with me. Go ahead. Just show the clip, please. Who is it? From the whole Biden family. Happy birthday, Joy. No one is better named than you. You brought joy to so many of your friends and admirers with your trademark humor and that smile that lights up the room. And as a former teacher, I know that there are so many students out there whose lives you've changed. You speak your mind, you speak from the heart, you stand up for what you believe, and you do it with warmth, humor, and authenticity. And you and your friends at The View started the national conversation 25 years ago that's still going on. You've enlightened us as well as entertained us. Both Jill and I are grateful for the time we've spent with you over the years, and, and we're delighted. We're delighted to call you a friend. Your light fills people's homes and hearts every morning. Thank you for sharing it with us for so long. We hope you have a terrific day with your wonderful friends and families and your beloved View family as well. And we wish you many happy returns. Happy birthday, Joy. It's hard turn to 30. Oh, that is impressive. Okay. You want to do it when we come back? No, I just want to say one thing. That was a good one. I just want to say gracias, yeah. Mr. Presidente. Okay. <laughs> and I'm assuming that I'll be invited to the Christmas party. Oh. There you go. Ah. Oh, look at Danny. Now, the very important thing I told my daughter and granddaughters, no serious guys in the 30. No what? No serious guys to your 30. I'll keep that in mind. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It's episode 632. It is the 15th of October, year of our Lord, 2022. And I love that intro because remember, we've impeached, we've impeached the president twice. We're trying to throw him in jail right now. And this guy lies that his son died in Iraq. He says this, that, and the other thing. Joy Behar, and he sniffs, and he's creepy, and, you know, before we start the show, I, here's what they used to think of him, and they used to be his buddies, the liberal media. For more on the situation with the vice president, we go to senior White House correspondent, Samantha B. Sam, uh, uh, <laughs> 
just came from a one-on-one -on -one interview with Vice President Biden. I, uh, I, I was, I thought you might have. Yeah. Yeah, he swears he's seen the error of his ways. And for her part, this reporter believes him. Sam, I'm just, a uh, curiosity. Mm -hmm. What was Biden doing while you spoke with him, Benny? Ah, well, he had just finished writing, I will not grope women a hundred times on a chalkboard, and then he was eating strawberry preserves without any utensils. So. <sighs> so he's keeping busy with his oh, hands. Oh, a whirlwind yeah. of activity, John. Yeah. And then as he began to change the oil on his motorcycle while also enjoying some Cheetos, you know, I turned to leave, you know, and say goodbye. But Biden turned to me and he said, come back, come back so I can shake your hand. And I did, John, the vice president shook my hand. Can you sure. believe it? <sighs> well, I... Great interview, Sam. Thank uh, you so much. We'll, we'll be right back. I... I think it comes down to this. We must be able to kill children. We must be able to groom souls and mutilate their bodies. That's the Democrats in a nutshell. And he fulfills that. 100% fulfills those ethos. And it really made me think, you know, this week there's two things that came to mind. Number one, you know... I say it a lot, and I don't want to make this show a religious show. But Republicans are more likely to have a religion by higher percentage. They believe in a higher being. And because of that, they don't have this whole... You know, if I could say anything about my children, and my son listens a little bit, so I'm going to take offense. They lack religion, so they truly are lacking something. But religion may, remains a strong marker of political identity because for Republicans, they believe in a heaven and hell. They believe in a higher being. They believe that something out there is good and, it's, and, it, and it holds us all together. So you don't need a religion to fill that hole. You don't need to believe in CRT and LGBTEIEIO. You're not searching. And the left is always searching. They're always trying to fill that hole. And they usually fill it with hate. That's how they negotiate all interactions with opposing views. It's just hate. Your words are violent. You're violent. It's how they act. And then the second thing that just hit me on my walks as I listen to some podcasts and I watch the news, just the utter hypocrisy. I mean, this week alone, you, you have to understand, this is the second time Biden did exactly what Trump did. Trump called Ukraine. He quit pro quo. We will not give you military aid unless you give us dirt on what's going on with Burisma. 
because of open source videos that everybody's seen of Bra- Biden bragging as time of a vice president of having people fired over there so his son could get dirty deeds done dirt cheap. This is an action that all presidents do. We've just never been to the forefront. Obama on tape with Medvedev. Tell Putin I'll have more to get through the midterms. Same concept. Same concept. But they are still wholeheartedly trying to impeach a president who has now twice done the same thing. He called Afghanistan and he said, lie, your country's not falling. Give me some help. The Afghan president did it and the Afghan president got on a helicopter with money falling out of it and he flew the fuck away. The country was falling as he said those words, as Biden co lied about those words. We lost 13 soldiers, bada bing. And now he's called the Saudis and said, will you please pump more so I can get through the midterms? Just one more month. After calling them horrible people, after dogging everything about them, after negotiating with their mortal enemy, the Iranians, who have killed more U.S. soldiers than any other country except for North Korea, literally killed all sorts of soldiers. They provided the IEDs. It always makes me think just like Ukraine. What is going on there? Do they have something on them? Is it a, is it you give us money and we tell people? Is it a reverse quid pro quo? I don't know. But he's now done it twice. We also know that the DHS secretary completely lied about the whipping. They knew before the meeting. The president knew before the meeting, the press briefing, excuse me, that it was all a lie, but they ran with it. And the J6 committee is still our asshole of the week. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole, you run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You are an asshole. You dumb asshole! Asshole! Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. Learning new information tonight about the incident fe- featuring images the Biden administration characterized as showing Border Patrol agents on horseback whipping Haitian migrants. Those agents were excoriated by President Biden, but later exonerated. Fox News has learned the head of the Homeland Security Department knew early on that witnesses said the agents did not abuse the migrants. Correspondent Bill Malugin has the latest tonight. To see people treat it like they did, horses barely running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. I promise you, those people will pay. Hours after President Biden made these comments on the morning of September 24, 2021, a DHS email obtained by the Heritage Foundation reveals Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was alerted that the migrant whipping narrative the president pushed wasn't true. At 12.05 p.m., Marsha Espinoza, DHS's Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs, sent this email to Secretary Mayorkas and other DHS officials, where she literally highlights that the photographer who took the infamous photos said in an interview that things aren't what they seem, that he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anybody, and that his images were being misconstrued. 
But two and a half hours after receiving that email, Mayorkas joined a press conference at the White House where he failed to dispute or stop the false whipping narrative. Instead, he called the images horrifying. We know that those images painfully conjured up the worst elements of our nation's ongoing battle against systemic racism. The president of the Border Patrol Union says that email shows there was no interest in the truth. It is smoking gun evidence, and it clearly shows that they're willing to lie to the American people for their self-interest. They withheld facts, and any time that you withhold facts from the American people, you should be willing to step down from your job. Better men would step down. And Brett, a 10-month-long CBP investigation later concluded those horseback agents didn't whip any migrants, though several of them are now facing unpaid suspensions about the 14 days for administrative violations. Those agents are currently working with Border Patrol Union attorneys to challenge that discipline. They're gathering evidence, and I'm now told that evidence includes that email you just saw. We did reach out to DHS two days ago for comment on the story. We followed up again today, but as of this newscast, we still... That voicemail is not political fodder. It should not be weaponized. We cannot let politics be this dark. Do any of you think that that voicemail is a legitimate gotcha? It's not really about Hunter Biden's gun application, is it? Lying and buying when it comes to gun applications, especially when it's about whether someone is going to tell the truth about using illegal drugs, lying and buying is not uncommon. If anything, this voicemail is proof that our system, our, even our gun buying system, is inherently flawed. Here's the point. We cannot allow politics to exploit pain like this, can we? You really want this kind of call to be a basis of political opinion? It can't be used by the right or left. This is about reality, not right or left. Weaponizing a call from a father who's already lost two kids, who's trying to connect with a sick son. In controversy that you may think are bullshit. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. I believe they know this because I talked about it on air. I think that the Hunter laptop was worthy of more airing than it received right before the election. Either of you agree with me on that? Do you regret? Do you regret? How about if I ask it this way specifically? Do you regret not dealing with it before the election? Well, I mean, I think. I think we, the question is, we did deal with it, but to the degree that, you know, you would, you would have thought was appropriate. I think the answer is in the, in the final two weeks, you know, it was looked at. We did not know enough about it. There was not, you know, there was not within two weeks of the election, the ability when the messenger on that story was Rudy Giuliani, okay? No, I mean, but I mean, that, that's the problem. It's like you're going to give a lot of legitimacy to Rudy Giuliani delivering 
you know, he's got the goods. So part of the issue with that story was who was delivering the goods, okay? That's one. That doesn't mean that we didn't look into it. We did, we did look into it. But first of all, you know, with regard to the son of the candidate, you know, he was the son of the candidate. He wasn't the candidate. The question that you'll come back with is, well, but what role did the candidate play in, in his business dealings? You know, frankly, uh, with 10 days or two weeks to go, uh, there, it was looked at by very credible organizations, including the Wall Street Journal, Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal, and they found nothing at that time, okay? So my point is, it's easy to say, we should have spent more time on that. Listen, do I think it's legitimate to look at? Sure. Do I think that, like, it's, it's a legitimate criticism to say that in the 10 days, 14 days prior to the election, you didn't spend enough time on it? Not really. What do you think? Um, he was never arrested. Uh, the Justice Department was looking into it, never reported it until he is the son of a candidate. I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a main story until that happens. Now, we looked into it. You know, NBC News did. Um, uh, Tom Winter and uh, Ken DeLorean did a great job. They met with Rudy. He brought a couple of pages printed out from the so-called, uh, from, the, from the computer. Um, they asked for a digital copy of it. They didn't get it. But I don't think it was a big story before the election because he was never found, he, he was never charged with it. Hey, Michael, let me ask you, in the two weeks before the election, when that came out, I, I don't remember the exact yeah, timing. Yeah, I think 11 days yeah. before. 11 day, okay, 11 days. So you probably had two shows uh, prior to the election on CNN, right? Right, one, it, but two, yeah. Well, okay, whatever. Did you cover it? No. I talked did, about did, it. Hold on, I, hold on. Did I tell you not to cover it? Definitely not. Okay. Did I, uh, so did hold on, I hold talk on, hold about on, it? Hold on. Why didn't you cover it? I talked about it extensively on, I guess, part no, of No, 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 no. We're not talking about radio. We're talking about CNN. I'm going I'm okay. to give you an answer. Okay. So I, my point I, is, though, you're giving, you're, you know, you're, you're saying you had the opportunity to do it, and you didn't do it. I regret it. Okay. I regret it. I but talked why? about it. I, wait, I, I talked about it extensively on radio, but no, Jeff's right. I didn't. And... And I second-guess myself now. I, I don't think it's a huge story. Right. I don't think it's a huge story. But I think I look bad by not talking about it at all. I should have said something about the damn issue. That's what I'm talking about. Did you, but you uh, didn't know all the facts at the time either. No, but I think that we looked partisan by not giving it some air. Yeah, I think you got to... I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with that, but I think you have to be careful to just because somebody throws a, a smoke bomb into the arena uh, to, you know, I think, yeah, listen, it is, a, it is worth real examination. But, you know, in the, in the 11 days prior to the election, it involves the son of a candidate, uh, you know, who clearly has issues and troubles. You know, what is the extent to which you should do it? We, we reported on it, but we didn't report on it to the degree that you're saying you thought w uh, would have been proper. Okay, that, that's, that's fine. Do you regret giving Trump as much air as you gave him in 2016? Of course I do. I've admitted this publicly. Uh, I, I've said so. You know, now, I don't believe that's why he became president of the United States. It's like, you know, I, I had a lot of power, but I didn't have that much power. Um, and, and so, yes, of course. I, I, think that, that, uh, I think that we made a mistake. Uh, and Did you then try to compensate for it thereafter? 
Uh, and what's I don't understand the by question. By giving him a hell of a lot less or by changing the well, way Well, but then he was president of the United States. Right, so, but, you know. but, but there, there seemed to have been a tonal shift after his election. Is that fair? I think the committee has been driven since the beginning by true investigative principles. And the politics are clear. Democracy is now a top three issue for all voters and especially independents. I mean, it has political ramifications. I'm not saying they live separate from that, but they've been driven by the investigative theory of connecting the dots. It's abundantly clear that they have tied the violence to a premeditated campaign of lies that Trump knew were lies to Trump. I mean, that, that was the, for me, that was the aha. And I we think got that word premeditated several over times. Over and over again. Yeah. And what they did today was they really wallpapered 10 different, you know, 10 different layers of wallpaper over the pillars of their investigation that he knew he lost. We went right back to the themes of the first public hearing in the most dramatic storytelling from Cassidy Usher that, that he knew that he was lying to his supporters and that he knew about the violence. And I think the subpoena is reflective of the dots being connected around the Yeah. Okay, go get him, Mimi. Those are the boxes. The electoral votes. Oh my God, how did that guy get up there? Is this big about to happen? What if they try and run the Capitol? I am offering this resolution that the committee direct the chairman to issue a subpoena for relevant documents and testimony under oath from Donald John Trump in connection with the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Gentlelady yields back. If there's no further debate, the question is on agreeing to the resolution. Those in favor will say aye. 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 Those opposed is no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. Mr. Chairman, I request a recorded vote. A recorded vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Cheney. Aye. Ms. Cheney, aye. Ms. Lofgren. Aye. Ms. Lofgren, aye. Mr. Schiff. Aye. Mr. Schiff, aye. Mr. Aguilar? Aye. Mr. Aguilar, aye. Mrs. Murphy? Aye. Mrs. Murphy, aye. Mr. Raskin? Aye. Mr. Raskin, aye. Mrs. Luria? Aye. Mrs. Luria, aye. Mr. Kinzinger? Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Chairman? Aye. Mr. Chairman, aye. The clerk will report the vote. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero noes. The resolution is agreed to without objection. So in there you see the lineage of lies, including current lines of Cuomo about the, the Hunter Biden laptop, the heads of the networks talking about it, MSNBC saying it's such a great thing. We now know that on J6, Nancy Pelosi literally was fucking with a film crew. All of us know they knew what was happening. All of us know they knew Antifa was there. All of us know because it was too quick with the insurrectionists and the cisnik was beaten in the head shit. And they voted to have Trump subpoena Trump knowing that they're going to lose the House and it's done. There is no case. That's a HuffPost video in there, the long one with Hunter 
they knew. They knew all along this was a lie. Yet we have Biden doing the very same thing. The very fucking same thing. And there's no outrage. There's there's no nothing. We have nothing. It's fucking crickets. And because it's an election season, the media isn't covering any of this shit. And there is a, just a huge fucking, our jerk off of the week. Everybody needs to get the $30 burger burger because you got to vote damn. Iowa politics, the media jerk-off of the week. So hot. Harnessing the power of young black voters, just like herself. She's the co-chair of CAU Votes, a nonpartisan voter mobilization group that encourages students to engage in civic life. Have you ever thought about voting locally to affect local politics? Okay, sign in here. They're an army of student organizers that helped get young black voters to the polls during the 2020 election in record numbers. Black people made up one third of all young registered voters in Georgia, the highest concentration in any state. But concerns over low voter enthusiasm could mean an uphill battle for Janiyah. So in 2020, um, you know, Stacey Abrams is running, you have this huge turnout, but the numbers had been actually down here on campus. Did you get a sense that there was either a lack of enthusiasm or a la- lack of organizing? People were in the streets, they were protesting and all that. It's so easy to get a turnout when things like that happen because automatically people think, this is how I can get my voice heard. But it's so hard to explain to them that this is where your voice stops. It stops on the street. It has to carry on to the polls. So I think that it was just a lack of people understanding the where that real power resides. So that's just been the constant, constant battle. The voters of Georgia will not only decide who wins the governor's race rematch between Stacey Abrams and incumbent Republican Brian Kemp, but could also determine the future of the U.S. Senate as incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock is challenged by Republican Herschel Walker in a dramatic neck-and-neck race. For Janiyah, the stakes feel higher than ever. A woman's autonomy, voting as we know it, honestly, our democracy. This election will also be a test of Georgia's new voting law, which critics say is an attack on the black vote by limiting things like absentee ballots, mobile voting sites, and bars passing out water and snacks by anyone but poll workers at polling stations. Janiyah says all of this could contribute to a lack of engagement. It's made people feel like their voice doesn't matter and this is why. They feel as though every vote doesn't count because mine keeps... And by the way, Chris Christie said that Donald Trump had told him in like May or June yeah. That he was going to basically lose the election, but he started talking about it being rigged because of the middle The trend, the trend they, line was planning. there because of COVID. And I mean, you can't forget the environment, the, the political environment at the time, at, at that point in 2020. Going into that summer, the election had already started losing steam for Trump because of the way the administration handled COVID and the right. way the country was responding to that. He knew, they knew. 
So their backup has always been, how do you reassert a different narrative in all of it? Well, it's clearly cheating. It's clearly fraud. It's clearly these other problems. And he's just going to come out and say it, regardless of what the results are. Right. And so this, at this stage, we've now got enough evidence that's out here, you know, that, you know, smart reporters like our two friends here have been tracking and trying to get everybody, can you just read the narrative? Because they're telling you the narrative, Joe. Right. It's not like they're hiding the ball from you. Now the question becomes, after all of this evidence, what is the country prepared to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when a political party tells you that we're going to steal the election from you, that we're going to take it from you, and then you, they're saying in the upcoming election, give us the power back so we can do it again, what, 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 what are you taking away from all of this evidence right. that's being presented? You're sitting back, you're waiting for the Justice Department, you're sitting back, you're waiting to see what um, the state of Georgia is going to do. Um, but the American people have the first crack at this. It's called November 8th. Right. It's called when you go to the ballot box this November. You've got the evidence. I don't know what the hell more you need. Right. When you've got the leadership of the party telling you, give us the power back and we'll then tell you what we're going to do with it. Well, they already have. Yeah. You just right. seen the evidence of it. And what was Trump after? He was not only after trying to win the election, I think he wanted violence so that he would have the pretext to declare martial law. You know, the number of times we've all heard him at, at these large rallies saying, I've got these powers under Article 2 of the Constitution that are so big that I'm not even allowed to talk about them. He has been itching to do this for a long time. So there could have been violence, there could have been, well, there was violence, could have been assassinations on Capitol Hill that day, could have been a hostage crisis with members of Congress and leaders taken hostage, including the vice president, who of course is the president of the Senate, plus those electoral college ballots in that wooden box, every indication that someone in that crowd wanted to grab those, yeah. destroy them or take them somewhere. Obviously, I wouldn't have picked, I wouldn't have put it on my bingo card if I had to pick surprise <laughs> action today that it was going to be a subpoena for Trump. I think I, like most people, thought this was, it was sort of too late in the game for them to try it. I thought maybe they'd announce a criminal referral or something else. Instead, they announced the subpoena, and they did so with lots of reference to other legal factors here. What did you make of it, Nicole? Look, I think the committee has been driven since the beginning by true investigative principles. And the politics are clear. Democracy is now a top three issue for all voters and especially independents. I mean, it has political ramifications. I'm not saying they live separate from that, but they've been driven by the investigative theory of connecting the dots. It's abundantly clear that they have tied the violence to a premeditated campaign of lies that Trump knew were lies to Trump. I mean, that, that was the, for me, that was the aha. And I we think got that word premeditated several over times. Over and over again. Yeah. And what they did today was they really wallpapered 10 different, you know, 10 different layers of wallpaper over the pillars of their investigation that he knew he lost. We went right back to the themes of the first public hearing in the most dramatic storytelling from Castillo that, that he knew that he was lying to his supporters and that he knew about the violence. And I think this I disagree with Anna in the sense that, OK, it's going to be over in November if they disband the committee. They only disband the committee if Republicans win the House. What we need to make sure yeah. is that that committee is not it's disbanded because there's so the much of, we need to a bunch know. Of the members of that but we also, this midterm election is not about the presidency, it right. partially is, but this is about the House and the Senate. 
We it would need be historical if Democrats maintain power just because of how yeah. power flips in between. And it's, and it's a new time in our Yeah, but yeah. people are worried about inflation time. in this country, and they don't realize, a lot of people don't realize, inflation comes and goes. I've been here a long time. We, we saw that this week with my birthday. Hello. <laughs> I've seen inflation yeah. up. I've seen the stock market went up, even though inflation is up. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. That sort of stuff, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, it fluctuates. It fluctuates. But democracy does not fluctuate. Right. You well, can lose it like that. Let me ask you something. When you and when your reporters, hold on a second. Yeah. When your reporters say, you know, uh, you were, this, tell me they're, they're worried about gas, they're worried yeah. about this, they're worried about that. Do the reporters follow up and say, do you think the Republicans will be able to fix these things? Uh, we're not looking to have arguments with voters, but we do want to know where, where it's... Where it's, it's, where it's a follow-up question. Yeah, no, it's not an argument. You want, a job? you want a job? We'll send you out there right now. Well, it's, it's not an argument. It's no, a follow-up question. How do yeah. you think the other party will yeah. solve these sure. problems? We, I think because they have nothing. I've seen the nothing. Agenda? We need what to give Joy a cameo on the road. Seriously, you've got a permanent invitation <laughs> from the team. And right now, we actually have an ad where I'm endorsed by a former colleague, a former Republican colleague, talking about the good work that I've done in the space of protecting our country, uh, related to public safety, related to working in a coalition-building manner. Um, and we've also run ads highlighting what I've done to secure police funding for our communities, what I've done to lower the cost of prescription drugs, which certainly uh, continues to be a challenge facing so many families. And so we are highlighting a variety of the issues in our race, my work to actually deliver results for the people of Virginia's 7th District. And we've got a couple more ads uh, until we're done. Points. Joining me now to discuss is Brian Deese. He is the director of the National Economic Council. Brian, good to see you. So there's no way to really sugarcoat this report. Uh, prices rose at 8.2% year over year, down from the high that we saw of 9.1% in June, but still at an unacceptable level. Uh, what is the administration doing and what can the administration do, aside from just telling Americans to be patient at this point? Well, thanks for having me. Inflation is a challenge. It's a global challenge. And I think the first and most important point is that the United States is in a better and stronger position to take this challenge head on than virtually any other country in the world. That's in no small part because of the policies that we've put in place and the strong and resilient economic recovery that we have here in the United States. As you mentioned, there was some progress in this report. Uh, headline inflation has come down. A lot of that is gas prices that are down uh, more than a dollar a gallon since this summer. That's important uh, for American families, but at the same time, Prices need to come down. They need to come down faster. Uh, this has been the president's primary focus, and we have taken action on measures that will provide some real relief here in the near term. Healthcare, for example, was one of the places where prices you saw in this report increasing. Uh, because of the policies that we've put in place, healthcare premiums are going to come down for 13 million Americans. We're going to bring prescription drugs prices down by allowing Medicare to negotiate for better prescription drug costs. And we're going to cap out-of-pocket costs for seniors in Medicare at $2,000. In addition, we put in place policies that will bring down energy costs and energy bills for American families in the coming months. So these are policies that are going to make a difference as we keep bringing these prices down, yeah, and but, it will continue to be our focus. So you look at core inflation at 6.6%, that's stripping out food and energy. And Brian, just telling Americans that things aren't as bad here as they are around the world really isn't a reassuring statement at, at this point. Congresswoman, none of this matters unless there's a nuclear war, which you voted to send arms and weapons to Ukraine. Tulsi Gabbard, she's left the Democratic Party because there are a bunch of war hawks. 
okay? You originally voted, you ran as an outsider, yet you've been voting to start this war in Ukraine. You're voting to start a thermonuclear war with Russia and China. Why are you playing with the lives of American citizens? You're playing with our lives. There will be no neighbors if there's a nuclear bomb. You voted to mobilize and send money to Ukrainian Nazis. You're a coward. You're a progressive socialist. Where are you against the war mobilization? He's telling the right truth. You have done nothing. Tulsi Gabbard has shown guts where you've shown cowardice. I believed in you, and you became the very thing you sought to fight against. That's what you've become. You are the establishment, and you are the reason why everybody will end up in a nuclear war unless you choose to stand up right now and denounce the Democratic Party. Will you do that? Yes or no? Okay, simple. Are you going to stop nuclear war? Yes or no? There is no line, because this is bullshit. None of this matters if we're all dead. None of it. You know that. Then let's take it up right now, because this is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that matters right now. We could be in a nuclear war at any minute, and you continue to fund it. That's what's going on. Why not right now? You're the liar here. Nobody has held you accountable. That's what's happening. And it is time for you to stand up and realize that what you've been saying has been lies. Let your conscience come through for once. Biden. Pelosi. How do liberal career politicians become millionaires? By putting their own financial interests over yours. They don't care about causing devastating inflation. They can afford it, but we can't. Catherine Cortez Masto doubled her own net worth, becoming a multimillionaire while in office. I'm Adam Laxalt, and as attorney general, I refuse gifts of any kind. I'll do the same in the Senate. I approve this message because your senator should help you instead. It is so blatant. How do Democrats even lose? My adult lifetime, it's always been the media, the papers. They, they always say damn, damn, damn. But it's just outright blatant now. It is fucking vote damn. And, and it's my third epiphany. Do you notice the only way that the left can win is this? If Blake Master, Kerry Lake, or Mark Finnick win their election for Senate Gov, Secretary of State, Arizona could be ground zero for some really challenging times for our country. I'm not kidding. I say the wheels can come off of democracy. It is save democracy. we got to save democracy. But this is political right now. Voter machines could be hacked. We're already starting. Voters may care more about the cost of French fries, Jan 6 panel, compelling evidence shows, and they're pissed. They're fucking completely pissed off that their lies aren't working, that people aren't saying, yeah, we need this. It's democracy. Everybody sees it. When you've taken this long to have the video come out of Nancy Pelosi, it's clearly obvious you knew what was going on. When you do this dramatic, we're going to vote to subpoena Trump knowing that you're going to lose the House. What the fuck, Chuck? Right now, 
They are quelling a story about Tim Ryan endorsing abolition cash bail nationwide. New York Post did a story. They're squashing it. This one. Newest FBI January 6 backs. FBI officials express concern all agents don't view Capitol protest as an act of terror and has to explain to them why it was way worse than BLM riots. That's what they had to do to get these people to, why? Why are we doing this? Because they know it wasn't worse. They know the doors were open. And now, regardless of how hard they try, everybody knows they were lying. And they've been lying about everything. It's little things. It's smidgen things. You're trying to spin fucking inflation. And then you get this Fetterman interview. Uh, we had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke, which means he has a hard time understanding what he's hearing. Now, once he reads the question, he's able to understand. You'll hear he also still has some uh, problems, some challenges with speech. And I'll say, Katie, that just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our our conversations. Now let's flip the switch, turn on the Fox News at Night spotlight on the mainstream media with District Media Group President Beverly Hallberg and Newsbusters Managing Editor Curtis Houck. As always, we have highlights and lowlights of this week's news coverage. Thank you both for joining us. Beverly, I want to start with yours because I, I love it. I mean, this is from a member of the British Prime, British Parliament, rather. His name is Rob Ruse, and he was questioning a Pfizer exec about the vaccine. And the Pfizer exec then confirms that the vaccine was never tested to see if it would actually prevent transmission of COVID. And Ruse posts this, quoting here, this removes the entire legal basis for the COVID passport. The COVID passport that led to massive institutional discrimination as people lost access to essential parts of society. I find this to be shocking, even criminal. Pfizer then responded saying, look, we never said we tested it to see if it would give you COVID or not or prevent you from getting COVID or not. And you think that was the whole point. Tens of thousands of people lost their jobs and you weren't allowed to go anywhere unless you could prove that you could prevent the getting and spreading of COVID. And that was the vaccine. Your thoughts? Yeah, and people were even called grandma killers and ostracized from society for having questions about the vaccine. And so this is my media high because this information wasn't suppressed by social media. We saw this circulated. We saw broadcast news covering it. We're covering it tonight. And so I am so thankful for Robert Ruse for asking this question and finally getting to the bottom of it. Now, it is two years too late, but my hope is that it points to the information of not censoring questions that people have and the importance of of the media to hold government officials accountable. It is really, it is phenomenal. I want to go now to your your top one, your high, Curtis. This is uh, NBC correspondent Dasha Burns in her interview with John Fetterman, right? And she says that he was having trouble understanding small talk and needed the questions to be closed captioned. Listen to her and we'll get your response. Walk me through why we need the closed captioning, how it works. Yeah, it's, it's really just how things happen, because I sometimes will hear things in a way that's not 
perfectly clear. So I use captioning. So I'm able to see what you're saying on the uh, in captioning. And Savannah, we did find that in small talk before the interview without captioning, it seemed it was difficult for Fetterman to understand our conversation. And she was questioned, by the way, from Savannah Guthrie, kind of called out by Savannah Guthrie for what she was reporting there. Your thoughts? Yeah, Trace, I thought that was particularly interesting. But, you know, the reason Dasha Burns is my media highlight of the week is because she's doing what the liberal media are refusing to do. She actually sat down with John Fetterman for an in-person interview. She, he's done a few interviews mm -hmm. before with Stephanie Rule and Lawrence O'Donnell of MSNBC, but they've been taped and remote so you really don't you're not sure about what's mm -hmm. going on how much is edited other than the fact that she didn't press him on abortion you know she really pinned him down about his fitness physically and mentally to be a yeah. senator uh, from the great state of pennsylvania and it's one of the closest races on the map she's slated to interview dr oz tomorrow morning on today's show so if she's tough on him as well i think we can chalk that up as a big media win yeah, I mean, let's face it, she was, she was being honest. Both of your lows are kind of the same story. It's Dasha Burns being trashed by her colleagues, her media colleagues, and those around other networks. Watch this, and we'll get both of your response. And we're talking about this interview. We're talking about what it might mean to voters. But there's been a really visceral reaction to what's been happening with the journalist. Yeah. This journalist, Dasha Burns, has become part of the story. She made a comment. It wasn't clear he, meaning John Fetterman, Fetterman, was understanding our conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with that, lots of other journalists uh, who had interviewed Fetterman uh, unleashed on her. I actually thought it was inappropriate that she said during small talk uh, before our yeah. interview. Maybe she's bad at small talk. Maybe yeah, it was maybe, her. Maybe it's her. <laughs> Beverly, you talk about the left eating their own. I mean, this is... This is unbelievable. You, you say something about a Democratic candidate, I don't care who you are, they're going to come for you. Yeah, it seems like the one crime you can't commit in journalism is actually holding a Democrat accountable. If you make them look bad, all of a sudden you're the bad actor. And so she was accused of bad journalistic ethics, inappropriate. They were saying that maybe her small talk just wasn't good small talk, and that's why he didn't understand. When typically a journalist in this scenario who is able to expose some things that a campaign has not been willing to do so, usually that journalist is called brave. That journalist mm. is lifted up. But again, unless you are lifting up the Democrat for the right reasons and not for the wrong reasons, um, this is the type of treatment you get, sadly. But I'm glad she's holding her ground. She's standing up for her reporting. Listen, if I went and interviewed somebody and noticed something and reported what I noticed and one of my colleagues called me out and everybody else did, there'd be some pushback. Your final thoughts on this, Curtis? Yeah, I, I just think the media blowback has been incredible. It's been the AP buzz. Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman recently used captions in an interview. This caused some Republicans to raise concern over his health, including his opponent, Dr. Oz. Yes, you read that caption correctly, that Dr. Oz. Fetterman suffered a stroke five months ago and said he sometimes needs captions to understand what people are saying. Disability advocates say these accommodations are often made after a major health event, like a stroke. And while neurological experts said they cannot offer a specific diagnosis about Fetterman's health, they noted that closed captions are a common tool for people with auditory processing or hearing issues, conditions which have nothing to do with overall intelligence. Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Bianca, when we talk about speech, we typically talk about your ability to express yourself through spoken and written word, but also to uh, 
receive speech, reception of speech through spoken and written word. Listening to him, he sounded like he was fairly fluent in his speech, able to speak pretty clearly. Every now and then he would have a little word sort of mashup, as he calls it. But what's interesting, let me show you here something. Um, the stroke, uh, which was on May 13th, so about five months ago, uh, seemed to affect his ability to sort of comprehend or uh, understand spoken speech. So what he seems to be doing then is then sort of relying more on his visual part of his brain, which is back here, to read the words. And then he's responding pretty quickly. So, you know, we don't, as you heard there, we don't know uh, what his medical records show. We don't know how much this affected him immediately after his stroke. So what his recovery has looked like so far. Um, but uh, that, that is sort of what, what we're seeing there. And that's not that uh, unusual in someone who's had a stroke that affects that part of the brain. As he sort of indicated, intimated as well, uh, you, can, can, you can have recovery. Uh, recovery can, can go for some time, certainly, um, but six months, 18 months, uh, you know, whatever the time period may be, people may continue to have improvements. And it's been five months. See this, just to play devil's advocate sure. here. How is your argument that the bigger issue is keeping control of the Senate? How is that different from Republicans saying in Georgia, well, the issue is we've got to keep control of the Senate against what they view as a Democratic radical agenda and defending yeah. electing Herschel Walker? And that's their argument. And they certainly can make it if they want Herschel Walker with all the issues he has around him. That's their choice. But I believe there are more people. Uh, who stand with us and the things. I mean, look what we've just gone through with our president. And the reason why we're in this good shape to defy odds this year is the president's leadership, Democrats acting, 10 million new jobs, 650,000 new manufacturing jobs, passing infrastructure bill. I mean, think negotiating prescription drug prices, first gun bill in 30 years, a chip bill. I could go on and on. That's success. And I give the president and the Democrats on the Hill credit for that. What have the Republicans done? They didn't vote for the American Rescue Plan, which saved our economy. Well, let me just say, if, if all that is so important, why is the Democratic Campaign Committee or the Democratic Campaign Committees not supporting Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, where she's got a close race and could use the party help? Mandela Barnes, Wisconsin, a number of other races where they're not coming to the aid to these candidates. Tim Ryan in Ohio, what could be more important than Ohio against J.D. Vance? They should be flooded with resources. I'm very proud myself. I have done 1.3 million for Senate candidates. Myself, little Terry McAuliffe. Every one of those candidates you've mentioned, I've done events for, I've raised money for. So we need to be all in. Sherry Beasley, I have met her. She was a great justice. She will be a great United States senator. Tim Ryan is right there in Couldn't Ohio. Couldn't party money make the difference in these close races? You bet. Absolutely. So we need to be all in. And all the folks who are watching us on TV, get engaged. We can't sit back. Now, history's against us. Obviously, the midterms, we should lose historic. We're not going to lose historic. But I agree with you with your first statement, Andrew. This is the most consequential election. And we've always said this as chairman of the National Party, most important election of all time. I believed it when I said it then. But this one is. They get control. Nationwide abortion ban. They'll roll back the prescription drug, our ability to negotiate for Medicare. They want to put Medicare on the chopping block. They want to put Medicare on the chopping block. Joe Biden, you know what he's done? He's just lowered premiums. We haven't seen that in over a decade. So Fetterman's doctor wrote a letter saying that this is a processing issue. He has no cognitive impairment and is fit to serve. But Fetterman has yet to release any other medical records. See, because once you release your medical records, we want all your medical records. So people are saying, well, why hasn't he done that? But uh, should he put 
that issue to rest, or do people have to wait for him to get better uh, in January for January? Because he when did when would he take over? He would take over in January, right? Sure. Well, he had his stroke in May, and mm -hmm. that letter came out in June. Mm -hmm. I don't think uh, they keep pushing for the medical records. I, I think it would suffice just to have an updated letter. I actually thought it was inappropriate that she said during small talk uh, before our yeah, interview. Maybe she's bad at small talk. Maybe yeah, it was maybe, her. Maybe it's her. <laughs> I just feel that, you know, I don't know what, if it was an off-the-record conversation, if the entire interview was off-the-record, but I know, Sarah, you've interviewed people. We interview people, and we have small talk before. That is generally not something that you mention during <laughs> when you're being interviewed by an anchor. The other thing that, that I had a problem with when she's describing all of this, I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I love closed caption. I watch all of my series closed caption because yeah. I can't sometimes understand the accents that people are using, and I don't understand things, and it's very helpful in terms of processing. And yep. I don't have a cognitive disorder. I just wanted to add on the Fetterman conversation. Yeah, yeah. That what makes the Republicans think that Herschel Walker is coherent and he hasn't had a stroke? Oh. I mean, I'm gonna, I that's, mean, a very, that's a valid point. I'm going to read to you what Herschel Walker said on, on climate change. Mm -hmm. He said, we don't control the air. Our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. <laughs> so when China gets our good air, their bad air has got to move, so it moves over to our good airspace, see? Okay, that, that's that, a very valid oh, okay. point. Okay. It's about the good air and the bad air. <laughs> the response from Dr. Oz, um, Oz's PR team was, if the Fetterman had ever eaten a vegetable in his life, then maybe he wouldn't have had a major stroke. Oh. Yeah, and then Fetterman oh, re replied, his team, I know politics can be nasty, but even... I don't like saying rage because I think that's a really unhealthy feeling. And when you feel those things, it only harms yourself. But I just, you know, what a disservice that she did to not only my husband, but to anyone facing a disability and working through it. And I don't know how there were not consequences, right? I mean, there are consequences for folks in these positions who are any of the isms. I mean, she was ableist and that's what she was in her interview. It was appalling to the entire disability community. And I think to journalism. So I was shocked. I'm still really upset about it. And uh, I think the positive is it's, it's brought a lot of conversations around accommodations, around rights, around ableism, right? I mean, ableism was trending on Twitter. It just shows there's so much work to do, but these networks have to take accountability, right? Like, where is your training? Right. <laughs> um, it, it was appalling to see. And you see that in schools, you see that with young children, you don't expect to see it at this level. And, you know, I haven't heard an apology. It hasn't come. I am hopeful that, you know, they are, will reflect and see that they did an incredible disservice to all Americans. But first, you know there's something going on when journalists turn on their own. An MSNBC reporter got an interview with Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman. That's significant because Fetterman recently suffered a stroke and admits to auditory processing issues like the ones that came up during the interview. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. Yeah. I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. You'll note during the interview, Fetterman's looking at a computer screen. It provided closed captioning. And to be fair, NBC went to pains to explain the agreements that went into the interview. Fetterman's first interview in person rather than via video conferencing where he could use captioning. I 
sometimes we'll hear things in a way that's not perfectly clear. So I use captioning. So I'm able to see what you're saying on the, uh, in captioning, and I'm able to respond to, uh, with the, the question. And that's the auditory processing. Yeah, that auditory processing where you know, I'll hear someone speaking, but sometimes I'll be able to be uh, precise on what exactly that they're saying. I use captioning. All that was fine until the NBC reporter Dasha Burns told the truth. She presented her story on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt and at the end added this. In small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. And then kablawi. The media world blew up. How dare she offer an unfavorable explanation about a stroke survivor? Had she never heard of the American with Disabilities Act? She must be prejudiced against those who have had a stroke. Never mind, of course, he's a Senate candidate for the United States Senate, the world's most deliberative body. Never mind. Debating conversation is a huge part of being a senator and representing your state. The media couldn't believe a member of their tribe, of the media, of the media elite, would offer such a candid observation. It got so bad, Burns had to go on the Today Show this morning to defend herself. Since then, other journalists who've also dealt with Fetterman came forward and said they had a different experience. Savannah, that's completely fair that that was their experience. We can only report our own. I will say it's important to note that according to the campaign itself, our team was the first to be in the room with Fetterman for an interview rather than via remote video conference. Colby Hall is here, founding editor of Mediate, the premier website for news about the news and on balance resident philosopher. Uh, boy. Uh, she gave her observation, which is what reporters do, and then I'll use, I'll use a turn of phrase, the media pounced. <laughs> the, the media pounced in much the way that we media criticizes Republicans for pouncing. Yeah, the reporter did a great job of reporting. I mean, she saw, look, this was the first interview that uh, Fetterman had given in person since his stroke in May. So it was a big deal. And his recovery from his stroke or his mental acuity is the top story. And that's the thing that everyone cares most about because he's been laying low or been doing interviews with people remotely or via Zoom or what have you. So I thought that, uh, that uh, Burns did a terrific job with her report and was very open and transparent. I will argue that it's not the entire media that pounced. It's just the part of the media, which represents a lot of them, that are so wedded to their tribalism that they, they, they get their, their allegiance in way of the facts. And what she said and reported about Fetterman was entirely actually dispassionate and, and fact-based, but that wasn't enough for these people who had to blame her because it may hurt him in the election. Yeah, God forbid a journalist tell the truth. To your point, the tribalism is more important than the facts, which is supposed to be obviously the other way around. It brings up a really important point, though, about, about John Fetterman. Uh, he's running for the United States Senate, not for dog catcher, not for town council, not, not for some uh, random, you know, random office of, uh, you know, the mine commissioner uh, of Pennsylvania. Uh, this is important stuff. And yet he seems to be doing the same thing uh, that President Trump uh, was so criticized for, which is not revealing his medical records. Take a listen to him explaining that. Well, I, I feel like we have been very transparent 
in a lot of different ways when our doctor has already given a letter saying that I'm able to serve and to, to be uh, running. And then I think there's, you can't be any more transparent than standing up on a stage with 3,000 people and having uh, a speech without a teleprompter and just being and putting everything and yourself out there like that. I think that's as transparent as everyone in Pennsylvania can, can see. <laughs> the media wasn't good enough with a letter for President Trump. Uh, why are they so, so okay with a letter for Fetterman? And more importantly, that talking about his health is, is the third rail. If you do it, you are somehow a, a bad person who isn't empathetic to those with disabilities. It's a great question. I mean, first of all, I want to say that, like, it's really brave of Fetterman to be recovering from a stroke in yeah, such fair. a public Very way. Fair. Like, it's unbelievable. And, you know, the media has always had sort of found him to be a darling because he's such a unique character. Like, he wears the hoodie, he's got the tats. He, like, he's, he's really good on TV, or he was really good on TV before he was, you know, surviving this stroke. Um, and that, that's what Fetterman was saying right there. Like, it's not easy. So, I, I, I mean, I think that there is some empathy but I do think the media's empathy is, is going over the board a little bit because his refusal to give... Don Fetterman is a trust fund kid. He took money from his parents deep into middle age when he decided finally what he would like to do with the rest of his life, which is to be the U.S. senator from Pennsylvania. The problem is fate intervened and he can now no longer speak. He had a bad stroke and we feel bad about that. Everyone does. But because of that stroke, Fetterman now needs electronic assistance in order to communicate with other people can't talk on his own. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. In fact, it's so real, his campaign concedes that it's real. That it's true. Fetterman uses a software program to understand the words of those around him and to formulate his responses to those words. In other words, to talk. Now, to be perfectly clear, this software is not a hearing aid. Fetterman doesn't need a hearing aid because he isn't deaf. He's not hearing impaired. Instead, this program takes words and then rearranges them into language that John Fetterman can understand because his brain can no longer do that for him. Now, that's sad. For transhumanists, though, it is thrilling. This is an amazing moment. This is Neil Armstrong on the moon. Here you have the, one of the most famous politicians in the country merging with a computer. This is the future they imagine. They're thrilled by it. But for everyone else, for the voters of Pennsylvania, for example, it does raise some obvious questions. For example, where exactly does the software end and John Fetterman's consciousness begin? We don't know. We can't know. But it's obvious that Pennsylvania could very well be sending a computer program to the U.S. Senate, where inevitably it will be hacked. Yesterday, MSNBC sat down with John Fetterman and his thinking machine to assess where the man ends and the machine begins. And the initial impressions were not at all encouraging. Uh, we had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke, which means he has a hard time understanding what he's hearing. Now, once he reads the question, he's able to understand. You'll hear he also still has some uh, problems, some challenges with speech. And I'll say, Katie, that just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our, our conversations. Well, good for her for admitting that. That's a rival channel. Don't watch a lot of MSNBC, but she should tell viewers that, and she did. And what she just told you is that before the machine was turned on, John Fetterman could not understand 
human language, not even small talk. But once the machine was plugged in, he sounded or the machine sounded nearly human. But don't worry, everything's going to be fine in the Senate as long as there's not a power outage. It's not like the electricity ever goes down in this country. We definitely have enough renewables to keep John Fetterman voting the right way for the next six years. Better build some more wind farms. That's the plan. I know those are long sound bites, but this is just, look at this. John Fetterman is a disabled American, needs technology to his job. So what? Oh, really? Chicago Tribune offers an awfully blunt reason for not endorsing Senator Mark Kirk. His stroke, that's a Republican. We said it was okay for a Democrat because it's so important to democracy and shit. Kirsten Powers. She just needs to go away. The ableism. Ableism. And then, as we expected, we can't go after fucking Fetterman we're going to go after the fucking reporter. She, these are the articles they ran. Not the fact that this guy cannot have a conversation. He's Stephen fucking Hawking. That you got Gupta bringing out brains to fucking make people understand. No, it's, it's, it's the fucking reporter. She's a piece of shit. Just a garbage human. Because you, you heard Democrat support for Fetterman is different from Republicans backing Herschel Walker. He Walker's a bad person. And like we don't know this is what you do. Like we don't know this is what you always do. It is always, oh, he, he's not able. We, we went through four years of Trump. He was physically and mentally disabled. He wasn't supposed to be the president. I mean, brain props, really. Washington Post, closed captions are common tool for people with auditory process or hearing issues, conditions which have nothing to do with overall intelligence. Experts say, it's always the experts. Spoke to disability advocates about the Fetterman interview. They're not happy. That was BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed in their article. The way Burns handled that interview will only worsen attitudes of violence towards the same. Yeah, because we saw... A revelation that this guy is functionally not mentally there. People are just going to run out and beat up people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Team Fetterman thinks an honest journalist would have faced consequences. His wife was in there. Consequences. You can't do that. It's not able. But this is what we do. This week, I responded to it. Katie Powell responded to it. I promised during the campaign that I would be a president for every American, whether you voted for me or not. I am not leaving anyone behind. We're building a better America. And everybody did the same thing. You had a speech where you called everybody fucking Bull Connor. Then you had the red speech. It was like the red wedding. Joey Jones, Johnny Jimmy Jane. I'll have words for now. It's best I stay quiet. My friend Dave was blown up in Afghanistan. He lost both legs and had several lingering injuries. Five years after his injury, he died from blood clot. If Dave wasn't killed in action, Bo Biden certainly didn't die in Iraq. 
But like last podcast, we're just shaving off the truth. The truth. It's just shaving. There's nothing wrong with it. In that soundbite montage to start a billion trillion seven hundred fifty million. It is Fetterman is Biden. Biden is Fetterman. Brain dead. And you just spent four fucking years saying that a president that could sit on a stump for fucking hours with enough energy afterwards to do the YMC motherfucking A, yeah, he's bad. But it, it's it's election season. Here's just a few choice, a few choice comments or sound bites because we we got the fucking spinning out. Obviously, I wouldn't have picked, I wouldn't have put it on my bingo card if I had to pick surprise action today that it was going to be a subpoena for Trump. I think I, like most people, thought this was, it was sort of too late in the game for them to try it. I thought maybe they'd announce a criminal referral or something else. Instead, they announced the subpoena, and they did so with lots of reference to other legal factors here. What did you make of it, Nicole? Look, I think the committee has been driven since the beginning by true investigative principles. And the politics are clear. Democracy is now a top three issue for all voters and especially independents. I mean, it has political ramifications. I'm not saying they live separate from that, but they've been driven by the investigative theory of connecting the dots. It's abundantly clear that they have tied the violence to a premeditated campaign of lies that Trump knew were lies to Trump. I mean, that that was the, for me, that was the aha. And I we think got that word premeditated several over times. Over and over again. Yeah. And what they did today was they really wallpapered 10 different, you know, 10 different layers of wallpaper over the pillars of their investigation that he knew he lost. We went right back to the themes of the first public hearing in the most dramatic storytelling from Castillo that, that he knew that he was lying to his supporters and that he knew about the violence. And I think the subpoena is reflective of... In a stunning finale to what is expected to be its last hearing, the January 6th committee presented never-before-seen video of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi fleeing the mob as the U.S. Capitol came under attack by supporters of Donald Trump. Central theme of the hearing? Donald Trump was responsible. He was the reason the attack happened. The committee made the case Trump always planned to declare victory on election night, whether or not he had actually won. His outside advisors spelling out the plan even before the election. Turned out of the economy and to the new numbers on inflation in the U.S., it remains stubbornly and painfully high. Consumer prices in September 8.2% higher than a year ago, moderating slightly from August, but not what... Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment, he is not coming, but that could... Change. 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 Oh, he comes. I'm going to punch him out. This oh, is my no, mom. I would pay to see I've been waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail. So I've been telling this little story about this bull out in the field with six cows, and three of them are pregnant. So you know he got something going on. <laughs> but all he cared about is kept his nose against the fence, looking at three other cows that had been blown to him. So one day he measured that fence up, and he said, I think I can jump this. So that day came where he got back. And he got back, and as he took off running, he dove over that fence, and his belly got cut up onto the bottom. But as he made it over on the other side, he shook it off and got so excited about it, 
And he ran to the top of that hill, but when he got up there, he realized they were bulls, too. Jesus, you still here? That right there was Mr. Herschel Walker, whose campaign is a smoking hot mess, sharing a story about a bull who knocks up three cows. Why? It's not clear. But it sure looks like Florida Senator Rick Scott is in charge of Republican Senate re-election. Percent that's stripping out food and energy. And Brian, just telling Americans that things aren't as bad here as they are around the world really isn't a reassuring statement at this point. And I want to ask you about the president's comments earlier this week to Jake Tapper, still saying that he doesn't believe that the U.S. will experience a recession. But if we do, it will be a, quote, mild one. What does that even mean? What should Americans be prepared for in the months ahead? Well, look, the most striking feature of the American economy right now is the resilience of the American economy. We have a historic labor market recovery going on right now, one of the lowest unemployment rates uh, in modern history. 700,000 manufacturing jobs created, and businesses are investing all around this country in places I'm in Cleveland today, uh, across Ohio, across the industrial Midwest, because they believe in the long-term potential of the economy. And Americans, American families are the beneficiaries of that strong labor market recovery. At the same time, prices are too high, but the message the president is delivering is that you have a president administration that's waking up every day trying to address that problem head on, and we are making progress. We are making progress on energy prices. We are making progress. We just have to, uh, we just have to stay uh, at it. And so, uh, the, you know, we, we have policies that are going to make a difference. Uh, we have policies that have already made a difference. We just have to stay the course. Brian, are we going to experience a railroad strike? The president took a victory lap just a few weeks ago, seemingly averting one that could have been a fatal blow, a massive. One of the things that Maggie talks about, if I call her Maggie, Ms. Haberman talks about in her book, is how difficult it has been over the years to report on that fella. Because anything you say about him, especially fact-checking his lies, ends up reinforcing what the original assertion he made was. And the fact-check, you know, the, what is it, the, a lie will go around the world while facts are still putting yeah. on shoes or something like that? And that you reinforce the lie by talking about the fact check. And I'm just curious nothing how is, you've learned to deal with nothing that. Nothing has bedeviled me more over the last seven years. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has been the biggest possible problem is at what, le at, at what point do we become complicit in all this simply by covering him? Mm -hmm. like, and, and I think that's a, a fair question. Well, the crazy thing was that when he was elected president of the United States, one of the things that just chilled me was, oh, now there's no not talking about him. Well, because there, he's the most important there, person in the world. There's, but there are things that we did learn, I could, like things that we would never do now that we used to like just sort of broadcast his words. And then if he lied, we'd say, oh, he, that's a lie. Yep. Now, you know, at least on my shows, if what he says is factually untrue, he won't show it. Mm -hmm. We'll say he's lied again about the election. Oh, that's good. That's but good. But that's a start. You know, it's, sure, that's not, that is. That's good. That's a good answer. But it's, <laughs> Just it's, the fact check, but, not the assertion. But, if Herschel Walker is elected to the Senate, what is the damn point? Because <laughs> it really means that nothing means anything anymore. There are no consequences. There are no consequences at all for hypocrisy then. It's been a mind-blowing couple of weeks. There's been no, no question you, about you that. You used to work in politics. Yeah. Were there ever consequences for hypocrisy? Oh, sure. I mean, people used to be in fear of being called out for flipping um, positions or, you know, lying about paying for an abortion if that's, in fact, uh, what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and you used to pay a price for it, but 
it, it, one of the most chilling things about the last several years, I mean, going back to the Access Hollywood tape, is how people can process. The midterms only 27 days away. Republicans appear to think they have the advantage on the economy. Big part of that is just the, the, the party that's out of power, uh, because the party that is out of power doesn't have the White House, will typically run against the status quo. And right now, a big part of the status quo is inflation. People don't like it. <laughs> According to the latest tracking poll, the economy is the number one issue people would like to hear candidates talk about, ahead of abortion and immigration. But if the economy is the number one issue to voters, then there is one party that will have an incentive to make it better. And that party is the one that has the presidency, the Democrats. The other side, the Republicans, have an explicit incentive to make the economy worse. And I will tell you, having covered the Tea Party Congress of 2011 amidst the recovery from the financial crisis, I feel confident in predicting that if Republicans win control of one or both houses of Congress, they will do everything in their power to sabotage the economy, to best set them up to retake the White House. I know I doubled up on the Pelosi, but that's a longer soundbike. And, and the, the, the simple fact that they're covering J6 the way they are, knowing you didn't cover Benghazi this way, knowing that this is going to end up in nothing, I, I am just fucking shocked. And then you have the spin, spin by Snuffburger, uh, fucking Hayes, fucking that rep goes on CNN just allowed to lie and flip shit, and it's never true. And then, of course, the Herschel Walker takedown. It's um, it's just unbelievable that you know this is our media. They're, they're on one side. Um, I'm gonna punch the president in his face. She says, "The whole thing is garbage." Jonathan Chait, semi-fascism can be thought of as a vast space between Reagan and Mussolini. This is where the Republican Party is heady, headed. I saw it up close. The right's illiberal turn is not merely or even primarily a Trump personal idiosyncrasy, but a broader belief system that has attracted support from powerful conservatives. All of this is a fucking lie. What they're trying to do is cover up for their fascism because they're, they're the fascists. If you don't believe this, we ruin you. Look at this. He doesn't have the constitutional right to write a law, pay money, you don't even have to. I went and ver verified it. I saw people talking about it. You can apply for ten grand. You don't have to show you had a loan. There's nothing in there. Nothing. And if our media was upright, oh, I got to show this one. Vote is unanimous. Cheney demand recorded vote. Good for her. So there will be a list. This is like signing the Declaration of Independence. That's how these people are. That's what they believe. But by their own J6, Biden has over and over and over again committed an impeachable offense. He just has. I think they just forget there are 74 million Voters probably more because they were suppressed, but the Brooking Institute didn't.
Right. What, as we look to 2024, because my, my former boss also talked about how one Trump term is one thing, two Trump terms is another totally thing. Totally different thing. Yeah. What should we, what lessons should Americans take from what has happened around the world if there are extended years of a government in place who's fighting against democracy and fighting against fundamental rights of people? What could happen with more years? Yeah, well, so you're right that it's a universal thing. And um, we can talk about Europe has its own cases where in Italy we might have the first far right prime minister mm -hmm. since Mussolini. And, and that person will have come to power through elections um, or the Sweden Democrats, a party with um, neo-Nazi origins. So it's not just America. It's happening all over the place because. Um, we're not debating economic issues anymore. We're debating cultural issues, identity issues, issues around religion. So I think we have to accept that people who we completely disagree with are sometimes going to win. So there's, what, 74 million Trump uh, supporters, voters. We can't just wish them away. They're not going to disappear. Mm -hmm. So then we have to find a way to live with them, even if we think they're bad people, even if we mm -hmm. think they're a threat to everything we hold dear. Because what, what's the other option that's in front of us? And that's a challenge because a lot of people will say, well, they're deplorable and we can't find a way to live with them. Michael. It, isn't it a little bit ironic, though, that uh, you reference um, Italy, for example? Uh, and Being that they have illegal voting, they did just mail-in, which was rampantly double-voted. No fucking checks or balances. Folks. You're forgetting that most of the country really isn't with your shit. Even the people that did vote for Biden, they only voted because they just didn't want fucking Trump anymore. Steven Crowder did an excellent takedown of Liz Cheney that I want to play. And that will lead us into our woke segment for the day with a long bumper that will be Tucker Carlson, God, his segment last night was it's so awesome. It's on regular TV. So Liz Cheney said that, uh, for example, there were tens of thousands of protesters <laughs> assaulted on the Capitol. I believe this was at the last hearing. Some elected Republicans even defend President Trump's decision to summon tens of thousands of supporters to Washington. And knowing that they were angry and knowing that many were armed, instruct them to march to the Capitol. Oh, she's so plain. Is that his did wife? Did she listen to his speech at all? Right. He did not instruct them. He said, hey, I hear you guys are going to the Capitol to make your voices heard hey. peacefully. So here's the truth. <laughs> here's the truth. Out of the 80,000 people who attended, all the references are available right now. You can f just follow along with the bouncing bullshit. Lotterwithcrowder.com. 80,000 attended, only about 2,000 people entered the building, and by the way, many of them were invited. We'll never know the number of people, but uh, you've seen the videos, many of them were invited in. Yeah. They didn't storm anything. Turn it up, turn it on. Rock it like we fed to the bone, get on the floor, run it loose. Gotta put this to left feet to you. If you need education in the part of Let's get a walk. Good evening, 
and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, happy Friday. In your head, you always imagine the revolution when it starts. We'll start with tanks and gunfire, with chaos and soldiers in the street. You'll know when it comes. But it never does. Instead, the really big changes to American life, the profound ones that affect all of us forever, those changes almost always begin quietly with gentle pleas for tolerance. We'd like to do things a little differently, they tell you. We'd like to make a change to some customer belief that people have been attached to for the last few thousand years. But don't be alarmed. It's not a big deal. You don't even need to participate. All we ask is that you let us live the way we want to live. That's always the pitch. And of course, you always agree to it. Why wouldn't you? Who could say no to that? Some guy down the street wants to wear a dress? Okay, fine. Have a party. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to wear a dress. So go ahead. Live and let live. But it turns out that's never actually the deal. The guy down the street wears his dress, but after a while, that's not enough for him. He's still angry. And for some reason, he's angry with you. And that doesn't make sense because you're the person who had no problem with him wearing a dress in the first place. What did you do wrong? Well, the problem is you're not wearing a dress and neither are your kids. Your normal person clothes, the ones you've always worn, are suddenly immoral. You've got to change immediately. Whoa, wait a second, you say. That's not what we agreed to. You do your thing and I'll do mine. Remember? <laughs> they don't remember. They don't care. That's not how it works. You don't get to do your thing anymore. The dress guy's in charge now. Everybody's got to do his thing, the dress thing, or face punishment. That's how it goes. Be tolerant becomes show some respect which evolves very quickly into bow down before us and lick our feet or else we'll hurt you. That's the final stage. That's where we are now. For example, a Democratic lawmaker in Virginia called Elizabeth Guzman is introducing a bill that will charge parents with a felony, strip them of their employment, and imprison them if they don't wholeheartedly endorse their minor children's sex changes. So your 12-year-old daughter says she wants a mastectomy. If you object to that in any way, if you raise questions, Elizabeth Guzman will send you to jail. For real. Here's a local news report. Her bill would expand the state's definition of child abuse and neglect to include parents who do not affirm their child's gender identity or sexual orientation. There's an investigation also in place that is not only, you know, from a social worker, but there's also a police investigation before we make the decision that there's going to be a CPS charge. What could the penalties be if, you know, the investigation concludes and it's concluded that a parent is not affirming of their LGBTQ child? what could the consequences be? Well, we first have to have an investigation. You know, it could be a felony, it could be a misdemeanor, but we know that CP a CPS charge could harm, you know, your employment, could harm your education. So who is this Elizabeth Guzman? Well, Elizabeth Guzman came to this country not so long ago from Peru as a single mother. Now, rather than wait a while, maybe spend a few generations here before telling you how to raise your children in America, she's decided to get right to it and completely change child rearing in this country in a way that would never be tolerated for a second in the country from which she comes. Try that in the Andes, honey, and see how that works. Yeah. But in this country, according to Elizabeth Guzman, you have to affirm your child's sex change or else you're going to prison. 
and the state will raise your kids. Now you gotta think, maybe they've wanted this for a while. What would this mean? Well, it would mean fewer intact families. It would mean people like Elizabeth Guzman make the decisions, the meaningful decisions within your house. It means less resistance from you. It means more powerful them. What it doesn't mean is that Elizabeth Guzman will be protecting your kids. She doesn't even claim this law will protect your kids. Instead, she acknowledges the whole point is to, quote, educate parents. Right. So, like the COVID vaccine, this is a pretty easy way to figure out who's on which side. Are you for this? Okay, you're on our team. You're willing to surrender control of your own children to Elizabeth Guzman, who, again, just got here. But if you're not for it, then we know you're not on our team. We know who you are. We can silence you. We can punish you because you refuse to be educated. So it's a signaling mechanism. And you know that because the ideology that underlies it, gender ideology, is completely incoherent. It doesn't make any sense at all. It is not rooted in science. It's a form of religion that's so crazy, it dares you to say something about it. What? You can't even say that. If you do, they know you're on the other side. And it's not just lunatics and ideologues like Elizabeth Guzman from Peru. It's doctors. It's medical professionals. Here's a video from Boston Children's Hospital, one of the most famous hospitals in the world, which, like many hospitals in the United States at this point, under the Joe Biden administration, cuts the breasts off of minor girls for no medically justifiable reason. Watch a practicing psychologist, an attending psychologist at Boston Children's Hospital, explain how early children can become trans. So most of the patients that we have in the GEMS clinic actually know their gender, usually around the age of puberty, but a good portion of children do know as early as seemingly from the womb, and they will usually express their gender identity as very young children, some as soon as they can talk. They might say phrases such as, I'm a girl, or I'm a boy, or I'm going to be a woman, or I'm going to be a mom. Kids know very, very early. So in the GEMS clinic, we see a variety of young children all the way down to ages two and three, and usually up to the ages of nine. So that's Carrie McGregor. She's a psychologist. She works at Harvard. I wonder how many children does Carrie McGregor have? Has she raised a lot of kids? Does she watch kids carefully? Does she know anything about kids? Because she's telling you if your little kid says, oh, maybe I'm the other sex, that means your kid is the other sex. Well, that's insane because almost 100% of kids at one point or another, at a certain point in development, say things like, I think I'm a boy. I think I'm a girl. And you smile indulgently. Get back to me in 15 years. But no, says Carrie McGregor, in the womb you can know. So think about what they're telling you. They're telling you that the developing child in the womb is just a part of the mother. Therefore, you can abort that child at any time. It's like an appendectomy. But at the same time, that same cluster of cells, that fetus, can also be woke and ascribed to left liberal gender ideology. And you need to honor that. So no sane, sane person could believe any of this voluntarily. It doesn't even make sense on its face. Again, it's a religion. And if you resist it, they resort immediately to force. No questions allowed. Again, this is science. And the essence of science is relentless questioning about what you think you know is true. That is the scientific method. That's science itself. But it's no longer allowed.
The American Medical Association, which has utterly beclowned itself, along with the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association, just sent a letter to the Attorney General of the United States demanding that the Biden administration, and we're quoting, take swift action to investigate and prosecute high-profile users on social media who have engaged in, quote, disinformation. <laughs> you hate to always invoke the German government of 80 years ago. But what else is that? That's totalitarian. They're saying if you disagree with what we're doing, people with guns should come and take you away. Now, you'd think someone in the media would point out, wow, you know, we, we can't have that in the United States where people are free to believe what they want and to talk about it in public and to ask questions. In fact, they should be encouraged to. But the media don't say anything like that. They're joining with the Children's Hospital Association, the AMA, to call for more censorship at gunpoint. Watch. Obviously, the question becomes then, when misinformation, disinformation is being spread, when hate and threats are being spread, where are the social media companies? What's YouTube doing? What's Twitter doing? And of course, then you have the reaction to that. Oh, this is big tech silencing people. It always becomes a debate about free speech, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, last week, Twitter suspended lives of TikTok, um, specifically for the policy against the promotion of threats, uh, violence and harassment. So great job, right? Um, but it's been seven days and libs of TikTok is back now and they're tweeting right this very minute. This is violence. This is harassment. It's clear what these accounts are doing. It's so funny. Back to the point at the open. When the revolution comes, there won't be tanks and soldiers. There won't be stormtroopers and old uniforms and symbols. It'll be some unmarried 30-year-old woman talking in a sing-songy voice. Inflection at the end. Right? Right? With her special glasses or complex glasses that don't actually improve her vision. She'll have all kinds of pointless humanities degrees. And she'll be on cable news saying, right, it's violence. And what she's really saying is... Shut up and obey or we'll hurt you. She's delivering the same message that any stormtrooper delivers, but she's doing it in a sing-songy way. This disinformation, call it literal, but this is the opposite of disinformation. It's not disinformation. This is literally what they're saying. Boston Children's Hospital, as we just showed you on tape, is telling you what they're doing. They perform double mastectomies on minors for no medical reason whatsoever. That's insane. It ought to be a crime in a civilized country. It would be. And they know that because when they were caught, they tried to erase the evidence. And they're not alone. UCSF, UW Health in Wisconsin, Golisano Children's Hospital in New York, Vanderbilt Health, Children's Minnesota, all of these hospitals have deleted the evidence of their gender-affirming procedures, their grotesque mutilation of children after they were publicized. Their own words were publicized online. No one's twisting it. People are just putting up their words. And not all the videos have been deleted. Planned Parenthood is big into this now because it's lucrative. So here's Planned Parenthood in 2021 telling children that so-called puberty blockers are harmless. <laughs> right, that's a lie. And by the way, there's no such thing as a puberty blocker. These drugs are hormone argonists and they're FDA approved for things like cancer treatment. You get prostate cancer and they lower your testosterone, for example, to prevent the cancer from growing quickly. They are not approved for so-called puberty blocking. They're unapproved. And the long-term effects are not known, but it's pretty obvious they're grim. But Planned Parenthood won't tell you that. Here's their video. If you're transgender or non-binary, you may find that your puberty experiences don't line up with your gender identity or how you see yourself. That feeling can be uncomfortable, scary, and stressful. If that sounds like you, know that you're not alone. 
There are medicines you can take to delay puberty for a while. They're called puberty blockers, and they work like a stop sign by halting the hormones testosterone and estrogen that cause puberty changes like facial hair growth and periods. Puberty blockers are safe and can give you more time to figure out what feels right for you, your body, and your gender identity. Okay, everything about that is dark and horrifying, and there should be an uprising against that. That's aimed at your children, not at adults who can make rational decisions, but children, people too young to drive or drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes or serve in the military or vote. People who are not, we have agreed as a group, capable of making rational adult decisions, and that's aimed at them. It's propaganda aimed at them, and it's a lie. Puberty blockers are safe. They are absolutely not safe. You can't delay puberty without damaging severely the bodies of young children. The FDA just identified several, quote, clinically serious cases of side effects after these drugs were recklessly administered to children by lunatic ideologues. The FDA found a, quote, plausible association between the use of puberty blockers and something called intracranial hypertension. Ooh, you want that for your 13-year-old? According to the Mayo Clinic, that condition can cause brain swelling, double vision, severe headaches, permanent vision loss. In other words, brain damage. Brain damage. Oh, great. Okay. On top of that, the European Journal of Endocrinology, among many other publications, has found that so-called purity blockers often cause, quote, decreased bone density, which is associated with a high risk of osteoporosis. And there are other permanent side effects as well. Libs of TikTok is finally getting back. So we did get a couple of her sound bites. But before, just remember, they still can't even define what a fucking woman is. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in. The big parade. Let's talk about the trendiness of flat stomachs again. I think a really important question to ask is why do we view flat stomachs as attractive? Some people in the comments of my first video tried arguing that our obsession with flat stomachs is biological because they're more attractive. When in reality, the actual reasons are a combination of fat phobia, Christianity, colonialism, anti-blackness, classism, and capitalism. As a lot of us know, chubby stomachs were considered a symbol of beauty and wealth during the Renaissance. But why did this change? White colonists started pushing the idea that black people were inherently fat because they lacked self-control, which highlighted the adoption of fat phobia as a means of perpetuating racism and trying to justify slavery. As Sabrina Strings mentions, Self-control and rationality were characteristics that were deemed integral to whiteness. Not to mention the idea of the Protestant work ethic. Decades later, we have a diet industry worth $72 billion and the fatphobic idea that flat stomachs are somehow superior. I had a fun little conversation with my students yesterday. For those of you who are new, I am very queer. I am non-binary and I use they, them pronouns and my students know this. But yesterday, I had some boys asking about it and I explained to them, like, here's how you use it, here's an example. We use it in the English language all the time. And they respond with, well, if you're a man, then I can be a woman. And so I looked at him and I said, okay, do you want me to use she, her pronouns for you? And he goes, uh, no. And I responded with, okay, so you're just saying that to hurt my feelings then. And he goes, oh, what, no. Like, yes, you are. You're being a bully. You're being transphobic.
And the boys around him kept saying the same stuff. Eventually, I shut it down, but... How am I supposed to call parents about this behavior when they're probably the people that they learned it from? How am I supposed to ask parents for help when I know that they're not going to respect me? But generally, what I recommend is that you do the minimal amount of time um, necessary for capturing the information that you need. And the reason, again, goes back to reducing barriers um, for transgender nonconforming non-binary and diverse folks so that they can move forward as quickly as they can into their next step. Um, when we're saying we have to see them for multiple sessions, that sets up continuous barriers and really perpetuates the system that trans, non-binary, and gender diverse folks need to be put to the test to prove who they are and what they need. And we're not in the service of doing that typically. Um, so the less sessions, the better. I typically will do the session in one visit. Several things. Joe said something that I also want to echo. Policy yeah. helps to dictate practice. Yeah. And so whether there is policy around equity, yeah. uh, to your point, around the anti-racist statements that are in place, mm. we've worked to not only craft a strong equity policy, but in Atlanta public schools also ensure that there's this, what we now call the district's very first chief equity and social justice officer, mm -hmm. but also our center for equity and social justice, which ensures that we are accountable as identified in our policy, that our practices mandate us to look at all three things through the lens of equity, whether that's academics, whether it's operations, mm -hmm. whether it's onboarding through HR or even fiscal management, all the way down to curriculum and instruction. Yeah and to utilize the data to keep us accountable and transparent <laughs> about how we do that. <laughs> Our data also tells us though, thus my earlier reference to the universal screeners, all of what we've heard, the data relative to the performance mm. drop in mathematics, our focus around literacy, but then that, that the same data that gives us uh, direction around behavioral wellness, yeah. that's, right. that's also mission critical. We have what we call in Atlanta Public Schools our APS5, where we look at data, uh, we look at curriculum and instruction, mm. whole child and intervention, mm. uh, innovation, personalized learning component, and then how we structure our schools. But we were committed to identifying evidence-based, research-based best practices to execute this in such a way through the lens of e equity so that we can move at a very um, uh, intentional and strategic pace. Meet James Miller, a middle school teacher at Mountain Gap Middle School in Huntsville, Alabama. Outside of teaching middle school children, Mr. Miller is alternatively known as his drag persona, Miss Majesty Divine. During his free time, Mr. Miller performs at a variety of drag events, including Drag Queen Story Hours, where he reads in full drag to young children. In this video, Mr. Miller reads the book, The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, 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 to young children, which encourages kids to explore drag. Swish, swish. Swish, swish, swish. The hips on the drag queen go. Swish, swish, swish. Recently, Mr. Miller headlined a Drag Queen Story Hour on September 24th at a dog shelter, which was live-streamed and posted to the shelter's Facebook page. During this quote-unquote family-friendly event, Mr. Miller made a series of lewd sexual innuendos and jokes where he told a room full of children, quote, Everybody likes a big bone, end quote. 
Sounds pretty unbelievable, right? Well, watch it for yourself. Be hiding. He detected something under the sand and dug more frantically. A treasure, a bone, and it's a big one. Everybody loves the big bone. Bear. Um, <laughs> he's thinking hot dogs. The hot dogs on the brain. Yes, all men with meat on the brain have. <laughs> Mr. Miller must have known the inappropriate nature of his comments because immediately following them, Mr. Miller says, We're not still alive, are we? We're not still alive, are we? Why would you ensure you're not alive after a comment if you weren't aware that it was inappropriate? I'm sure Mr. Miller knows not to make those jokes in his classroom. But then again, Mountain Gap Middle School doesn't seem to mind this type of behavior around children. We reached out to the school and the superintendent requesting comment about Mr. Miller's disturbing behavior as well as some questionable public social media posts and received no response. Mr. Miller also has a TikTok account where he posts videos of his drag queen story hours for children right alongside videos where he's talking about anal penetration. Take a look at some of his lovely content. Why does this remind me of the emergency room saying that nothing ends up in your ass by accident? On His Majesty Divine Facebook, Mr. Miller posts photos of men biting fake breasts and putting their faces in a man's crotch and advertises wholesome drag queen events such as drag us to hell. Sounds about right. But what are we worried about? If your child's teacher wants to make jokes about penises in front of children and post sexually suggestive public content in their free time, who are we to judge? Maybe they're just living their truth. Yeah, remember, they, they blocked her because her her words are dangerous. Replaying people's words are dangerous. Not trans fucking freaks. A teacher was caught on video making inappropriate sexual comments in front of children. But that, that, that no. And then we have this. This is, you know, once again, they are the fascist. This is a cult. Just listen. This is a medical. Jesus Christ. With gratitude, we, the students of the University of Minnesota Twin Cities Medical School class of 2026, stand here today among our friends, families, peers, mentors, and communities who have supported us in reaching this milestone. Our institution is located on Dakota land. Today, many indigenous people throughout the state, including Dakota and Ojibwe, call the Twin Cities home. We also recognize this acknowledgement is not enough. We commit to uprooting the legacy and perpetuation of structural violence deeply embedded within the healthcare system. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. As we enter this profession with opportunity for growth, we commit to promoting a culture of anti-racism, listening and amplifying voices for positive change. We pledge to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine. Knowing that health is intimately connected to our environment, we commit to healing our planet and communities. We vow to embrace our role as community members and strive to embody cultural humility. We promise to continue restoring trust in the medical system 
and fulfilling our responsibilities as educators and advocates. We commit to collaborating with social, political, and additional systems to advance health equity. We will learn from the scientific innovations made before us and pledge to advance and share this knowledge with peers and neighbors. We recognize the importance of being in community with and advocating for those we serve. That's not dub, folks. University of Minnesota medical students swear to oath to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine and to fight white supremacy, colonialism, and the gender binary. To be a doctor. A doctor. It's, it's a fucking cult. It's just a fucking cult. This one, DPS NewsHour brought in a drag queen to be a crossing guard. Crossing guard. And then you get into the gist of things that all of a sudden, all their belief structures that Muslims and gay people and blah, blah, blah are all in on their shit. And in Dearborn, they found out, no, they're not. Just, they just, they think everybody's a monolith. Don't say gay terrorists strike in Michigan. Muslim parents who are pissed off at the Dearborn School Book Board for books used in class and school libraries that include explicit content and LGBT variety. My latest op-ed for Newsweek. They're just terrorists now. Cindy Lopper. Today I launched the Girls Just Want to Have Fun Fundamental Rights and Tides Foundation to support organizations that advance women's rights and health. We have released this new limited edition t-shirt and it's all about abortion and I'm not going to play it. But I will play the CDC and I want you to remember we're almost three years into this. And does this, does this actually say anything? Thank you for joining today's Director Debrief. Updated COVID-19 vaccines are now available for children ages 5 through 11. This expanded eligibility is a critical step in our fight against COVID-19. It's our highest priority to optimize protection so that our children, our future, can remain healthy and protected. I've heard conversations about the updated COVID-19 vaccine that are now available, so let's talk about what you need to know. The updated vaccines are bivalent, meaning half of the vaccine formula targets the original SARS-CoV-2 strain, and the other half of the vaccine targets BA4 and BA5 Omicron variants. The updated COVID-19 vaccines are formulated to restore waning protection and to better protect against currently circulated COVID-19 variants. Laboratory data suggests they also increase our immune response to help protect against the most common variants today. If your child is five or older, please make sure they have completed the primary vaccine series. And if they have, and it's been at least two months since their last COVID-19 vaccine dose, please get them an updated COVID-19 vaccine now. And the same is true for you, so you can be healthy and well to take care of your children and yourself. As we approach the winter months, it's critical that we all remain vigilant and stay up to date on COVID-19 vaccines. If you're eligible, I strongly encourage you to roll up your sleeve and get your updated COVID-19 vaccine today. You can visit vaccines.gov to find a location. 
I am sitting here 100 pounds lighter with some kind of COVID complication, and that's the best that this twat can come up with. That's the best because they, they don't have anything else. They haven't studied anything because they spent more time trying to do politics. But yet we know that these fucking shots don't fucking work. Yahoo! We could ease diaper shortages of pregnancy centers would quit convincing women to have babies. Yeah, that's it right there. Don't have the baby. Not use protection. Not like fucking close your fucking legs. I hate to sound like the departed Rush Limbaugh, but we had a whole election about this and how important it was to make free birth control. And we did that. We made nuns provide it. But yet you're still having women go in and have four or five abortions. Just wrecking their uterus. DOJ has a pro-abortion task force. That's why they hit those people. Doesn't really surprise me whatsoever. And then this little nugget came out, which I just think is fucking awesome. Now, using the thumbs up is passive aggressive. Hmm. So, two sound bites I wanted to play that it was awesome, and then it'll go right into your lighter fare. Greta Thunberg, covered by none other than Tucker, which I think is just fucking hilarious. And then Candace Owens. And I, I gotta admit, starting to dig this shit. Pretty much saying that uh, the hardest person to be on this planet is a white, straight male. We've now somehow gotten into this society where people are pretending what we're doing is equality and it's not. If we have ever achieved equality in this country, then you wouldn't blink if anybody says Asian lives matter, no one blinks. Black lives matter, no one blinks. But white lives matter, they fell apart, right? They fell apart because they actually, and I will stand by this as much as I possibly can and I will be the loudest voice, the actually worst thing to be in this society, if one thing I would not want to be, is a straight white male. For some reason, that's considered problematic, right? You have to be something. It's why people lie. They're lying on college applications. They're like, okay, I'm white, uh, but I'm also trans. And you're like, what? Why are you pretending? Because, oh, I don't want people to think I'm too normal, right? And people, you know, they're just trying to find something that makes them not white, right? And it's really staggering to think that once upon a time, that is exactly what the experience was for a black American, that being a black American was so problematic that you weren't going to be allowed into the room. Now you have the exact same thing happening reverse, and you have liberals trying to convince you that that's equality. It's not. All lives matter, and that's including white lives matter, you know? Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. John Fetterman is a trust fund kid. He took money from his parents deep into middle age when he decided finally what he would like to do with the rest of his life, which is to be the U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. The problem is fate intervened and he can now no longer speak. He had a bad stroke and we feel bad about that. Everyone does. But because of that stroke, Fetterman now needs electronic assistance in order to communicate with other people. He can't talk on his own. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. In fact, it's so real, his campaign concedes that it's real. But it's true. Fetterman uses a software program to understand the words of those around him and to formulate his responses to those words. In other words, to talk. Now, to be perfectly clear, this software is not a hearing aid. Fetterman doesn't need a hearing aid because he isn't deaf. He's not hearing impaired. 
Instead, this program takes words and then rearranges them into language that John Fetterman can understand because his brain can no longer do that for him. Now, that's sad for transhumanists, though. It is thrilling. This is an amazing moment. This is Neil Armstrong on the moon. Here you have the, one of the most famous politicians in the country merging with a computer. This is the future they imagine. They're thrilled by it. But for everyone else, for the voters of Pennsylvania, for example, it does raise some obvious questions. For example, where exactly does the software end and John Fetterman's consciousness begin? We don't know. We can't know. But it's obvious that Pennsylvania could very well be sending a computer program to the U.S. Senate, where inevitably it will be hacked. Yesterday, MSNBC sat down with John Fetterman and his thinking machine to assess where the man ends and the machine begins. And the initial impressions were not at all encouraging. Uh, we had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke, which means he has a hard time understanding what he's hearing. Now, once he reads the question, he's able to understand. You'll hear he also still has some uh, problems, some challenges with speech. And I'll say, Katie, that just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our, our conversations. Well, good for her for admitting that. That's a rival channel. Don't watch a lot of MSNBC, but she should tell viewers that, and she did. And what she has told you is that before the machine was turned on, John Fetterman could not understand human language, not even small talk. But once the machine was plugged in, he sounded, or the machine sounded, nearly human. But don't worry. Everything's going to be fine in the Senate as long as there's not a power outage. It's not like the electricity ever goes down in this country. We definitely have enough renewables to keep John Fetterman voting the right way for the next six years. Better build some more wind farms. That's the plan. But once again, to the credit of the MSNBC reporter, she did ask a follow-up. How do we know your thinking machine isn't going to break, John Fetterman? Can we see a doctor's report on this? Here's how that exchange went. Can voters trust that you will be able to do this job on day one? Yeah, of, of course. So you say you're on the road to full recovery, but right now voters really have to take your word for it. We've asked for your medical records. We've asked to have a conversation with someone from your medical team to interview your physician. You've declined those requests. Why? Well, I, I feel like we have been very transparent in a lot of different ways when our doctor has already given a letter saying that I'm able to serve and to, to be uh, running. I mean, respectfully, that letter from your physician, that was six months ago. Don't voters deserve to know your status now? Being on uh, in front of thousands and thousands of, of people and having interviews and getting around all across Pennsylvania, that gives everybody and the voters decide, you know, if they think that it's it's really the issue. So he's reading that off a screen. And by the way, we're taking him at his word that there's not a staffer backstage typing out the answers because he himself can't formulate them. Now, again, you can feel deeply sympathetic to John Fetterman. That's sad to watch. But this is a guy who wants to run the federal government in a body of 100, the most powerful legislative body in the world. And he wants to be a member of it. 
So over at CBS, reporter Ed O'Keefe asked the obvious question, quote, will Pennsylvanians be comfortable with someone representing them who had to conduct a TV interview this way? Now that's a mild way to put it, but it's certainly a fair observation. The guy's reading his answers off a screen with the reporter three feet away. That's the definition of impairment. And again, this is a very serious job. But others in the media scoffed at the idea that was a problem at all. In fact, far from being a problem, it was an asset. Because if the equity agenda means anything, it means that incompetent people ought to be in charge. That's equity. As New York City Councilwoman Rita Joseph put it, questions about Fetterman's profound brain damage are, quote, incredibly ableist. Ableist. We desperately need more diversity in elected office, and that includes people with speech impediments. Well, we desperately need that. That is absolutely right. But actually, we're not talking about a speech impediment. She's telling us he's got a stutter, just like Joe Biden. Remember when they told you that Joe Biden's dementia was just a stutter? <laughs> but of course, a speech impediment would not prevent Fetterman or Biden from understanding other people's speech. Huh. Investigative reporter Hunter Walker, who writes for Rolling Stone and The New Yorker, answered that question with a question of his own. Hmm. Quote, would they treat a deaf person like this for needing assistance? Oh, so if you have questions about John Fetterman, you hate the deaf! You're a hearingist, bigot! We're gonna close down your bank account at J.P. Morgan, ableist! But again, it's not really relevant to the Senate race in Pennsylvania because once again, John Fetterman doesn't have hearing problems. He's not deaf. This isn't deafness. This is brain damage. So the independents, Eric Michael Garcia, tried to tie up that loose end and he used an analogy to do it. That's how really smart people talk. How is this any different, he wrote, from Tammy Duckworth or Madison Cawthorn needing a wheelchair? Oh. So John Fetterman being unable to talk without reading it off a screen, either from the software or from one of his staffers backstage, is exactly the same as being wounded in defense of your own country. It's a war injury! <laughs> and then John Fetterman's wife, who came into this country as an illegal alien, by the way, wondered the same thing. And we're quoting, truly appalling! Have these journalists never heard of the Americans with Disabilities Act? Really curious to learn how they feel about wheelchairs and glasses, end quote. Really? So your questions about John Fetterman's mental health, the acuity of his brain, his ability to talk and listen and reason, use his higher faculties, those questions are banned by the Americans with Disabilities Act because he's not just an incompetent guy trying to take over the country. No, he's disabled. Over at Vox, Ian Milheiser said he knows exactly how Fetterman's bigoted critics view people with eyeglasses. Dr. Kimmer Rouge, quote, is it the position of NBC News that a senator with glasses cannot be trusted in office because they use assistive technology to accommodate their disability? <laughs> it's so unbelievable. Not only can you not ask questions about the guy you're supposed to vote for and whether he can actually represent you in the United States Senate, you're not allowed He's fine, and by the way, the fact he's not fine is the reason to vote for him. So they're hitting you from both sides. <laughs> vote for him because he's so profoundly disabled, and we don't have enough of those in the Senate. But if you know that he's profoundly disabled, you're a bigot. Woo! They got you coming and going. Have you heard this before? Does it sound kind of familiar? Where they take someone with an obvious impairment, and then they use him to accrue more power for themselves. It's not really about the disabled person, it's about them.
And then if you ask questions about it, shut up, bigot! Does the term Greta Thunberg come to mind? That's the girl who's always lecturing you about global warming and how you're evil? Greta Thunberg is someone who needed help and concern from adult adults. At the age of 11, she lost 22 pounds because according to her parents, she was so depressed about global warming that she couldn't eat. And then she was diagnosed with a whole suite of very serious problems, OCD, mutism, Asperger's. Very, very sad, actually. But the people around Greta Thunberg and the people who used Greta Thunberg didn't see this as sad at all. They saw it as an advantage for them because Greta Thunberg could be used to accrue more power to them and you weren't allowed to say anything about it because she was disabled, which by the way, you weren't allowed to notice. Lieutenant White gave his life for his country, thereby reflecting great credit upon himself, the units, and the United States fucking army. No! Sir! Why'd you do that? I'm not gonna do that again, okay? I swear. You goddamn right you're not. Yeah, no. What are you with? I'm with 3rd Battalion 2nd Jihad. Hala. And she gives him top shelf head. Get back or I'll cut him. Get back. I am so fucking high right now! Come on! But what is Vet TV for someone who doesn't know? This is a place to come relive the military experience in a way that makes you laugh. We are hanging with her. Andrew Fox. Generally, civilians don't like seeing us the way we really are. We're gonna have a meeting tonight with a few shitheads, and there'll be plenty of guys to kill them. Hell yeah. They don't like seeing our sense of humor, because they don't understand it. Oh. Look, who's already sucking this CEO's cock? It's a hard one. It's like, yo, dude, you cock line. That shit's funny, though. And that's why I like that TV. When you watch it, and you realize that's our day-to-day -day life, is just shooting the shit, laughing to get over hard times. Why'd you have to end it like this? Wow. Yeah, I know. I came up on him like this. <laughs> I didn't think he'd have the ball. Of course we ended up stranded on a desert island. Hey, I still have my phone. I'll post an SOS. What? False. Ow. What? But that doesn't even matter! Sadly, fact check websites are prone to label posts, articles, and even memes as false or missing context over completely pedantic or irrelevant details. For example, when this incredibly compelling Instagram page posted a tweet pointing out the absurdity of a proposed law, it was fact checked as missing context just because the law hadn't been passed yet. But the post never said it had been. I sincerely hope that's the dumbest thing I'll hear today. It won't be. Ron Paul and Jim Webb once made the exact same claim about the federal income tax, quoting the exact same expert. But PolitiFact gave them different ratings. Snopes rated the claim that AOC wasn't in the Capitol building on January 6th as mostly false, even though their article admitted that she was, in fact, not in the main Capitol building. And let's not get into all the fact-checking that occurred about the lab leak hypothesis, almost all of which has aged very poorly. But don't we need fact-checkers to protect us from misinformation? 
Not really. In fact, they spread it themselves. When Snopes fact-checked satire articles from the Babylon Bee, they tried to justify it by rewriting Babylon Bee headlines to make them sound as true as possible, and then asking people if the headline sounded believable. They took the results of that survey and used it to suggest that people who read the original unedited Babylon Bee headlines thought they were true. Oh, that sounds like lying. Yeah, sounds like it. When they're suppressing satire, it's obvious that many who claim to be fact-checkers are really just content suppressors. But even if they were all being perfectly honest, the idea that we can simply fact-check hot-button political issues as true or false just isn't realistic. Debates about public policy can be extremely complicated, and people don't always agree on which facts are relevant, if they even agree on the accuracy of the factual claims at all. While the idea of fact-checkers might be very convenient, it's a lot better to do your own research. Finally! Someone answered! Hello? Yes! I'm stuck on an island with my friends! Yeah, nice try, Bob. I saw the fact check. Thank you so much for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe to the channel. And that was Vet TV, by the way. Really crude, low-budget shit, but I think it's funny as hell. And Common Sense Soapbox, kind of like Freedom Tombs. I wanted to end on this little quit vignette, and it's our This Is America of actual quotes by Biden that uh, libs have no clue that he said. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Wow. I'm Ami Horowitz, and Democrats will have you believe that President Trump is a raging racist and Joe Biden is a champion of the black community. Well, I'm here in Harlem to find out by playing America's favorite game, Is This Racist? So I hit the streets to find some Biden-supporting Democrats to play the game. Let's go. game is this. I'm going to give you a quote, and you're going to tell me how racist that quote is from 10 being most racist, 1 being least racist. I've been around. I went to all white high school, so I'm ready for this. Referring to Barack Obama, he said, first mainstream African-American who is bright, articulate, and clean. How racist? 10. Who is bright, articulate, and clean. Yeah, that's up there. That's like gotta be like a 10, a 9, yeah. Because it's like you're implying that most black people, most African Americans aren't that way. That's okay. just like, that was just like, you know, moderate racist. Uh, it's kind of racist. I would say probably 9. Just because somebody's articulate and clean and they happen to be black, you know, that's not a reason to say it like that. So, you know, I would say that on a, a scale. On the, on the racist ometer. 8. That was a seven. A seven. Yeah. So still racist, still yeah. but not crazy racist. Yeah, no, not crazy, like, not huge. Right. Like. <laughs> Say, that's, that's, that's like a nine. That's a nine. That's, well, that's a nine. That's a nine. She so said, if you don't vote for me talking about black people, then you ain't black. That's ten. If you don't vote for me, you're not black. I'm going to say that that one 
definitely not as high as the other one. Okay. It's definitely up there. Yeah. But I would say that's 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 like a six seven. A six seven. Six point five. Six point five. I like that. I like the accuracy on that. Yeah. Exactitude. And for someone to imply that is a bit like, who are you to tell me if I'm black or not? So yeah, I'd say that's about a ten. Let me give that a, a eight. An eight. That's, that's just a dumbass comment, right? Referring to inner-city busing, bringing black people to white schools, he said that would create a racial jungle. I don't want my kids going to a racial jungle. How racist is that? Seven, nine. By doing that, you're creating racial jungles. And I don't want my children going to race. That's a 10. That's a 10. But off the bat. I was bust. I understand that. That's, that's, that's a 10. Straight up. Straight up. I would say 10. That's a reader racist point. Yeah. I Definitely. I would say 10 too. Um, 10. 10. 10. That's a 10. Why would you say something like that? That's like pretty much saying that's a 10. If you had a 20, it would be a 20. <laughs> that, was, that was as racist as you can get. Yeah, that's racism in a book. Like, if you want to be racist, you got to say that line. Like, who said that? In referring to inner city Baltimore, he said it's a rat infested hellhole. It's <laughs> 100% true. It is. So not, a, so not a racist statement. Not a racist statement at all. Like in one, you're living in poverty and your schools are no good. Is that a racist statement? No. Not, not whatsoever. I would say probably one. Um, that's true. See, these are facts. So you can't put it in a racist category because he's stating something that's really basically facts. Our inner cities are a disaster. Is that a racist statement? No. Saying that, but it's not that racist. I would say probably uh, two. Been like that forever. Okay. I don't feel it's a racist statement. Okay. It is something that's real that needs to be changed. The quote about Barack Obama being bright, articulate, and clean, Joe Biden. Really? Wow. And that was his VP, like, wow. Yeah, a little surprised? Yeah. The quote about uh, you ain't black and don't vote for me was Joe Biden. Wow, he said that? He did say that. Wow. Wow. You seem blown away. Yeah, because it's just like as someone who's, I'm not going to lie, an open Democrat, like, you would expect that when you represent that party, you wouldn't feel comfortable saying things like that in the open and on media. So when you have so many people, specifically black people, that are backing you and you just felt comfortable saying something like that. Saying you don't vote for me, you ain't a black person, Joe Biden. Yeah, you did say that. I remember that. Yeah. Joe Biden again? Joe Biden again. Joe Biden. Said to Charlemagne the God. Wow. And the last quote about the racial jungle with busing with Joe Biden. It just it makes me fearful. Everybody knows that Joe Biden's racist. Why why does everybody know that? I think you should know that Joe Biden ran three times for president and he's racist. He never won unless it was an actual black person on his ticket. So Because most people were shocked to hear those quotes that came from Joe Biden. Really? Yeah, most people here did not Sad. know that. It's very sad. Do you think the Democratic Party has taken the black vote for granted? Definitely. Definitely. 100%. They want our vote, but it's not nothing being done to make a difference as far as the conditions and the changes that we really need. It's a, 
It goes to a deaf ear. It's like nobody's listening to what needs to be done. I feel like they come in and do a photo op and try to highlight it instead of really fixing the issue. Because later on down the line, you get an office, you turn your back on us. Huh. Of course, everything they has always been every, for years. I would, I would say somewhat. I would say somewhat. I might also say that when they need what, you know, that's when they come to us. Right. And after that, hey, you don't see them. Of course no, they no. do. They only use it for the, their game when, it, when they're trying to win an election. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I genuinely feel that way. I find that when black people, when it's time to vote, they kind of like go to the black community like, we have your vote, we have your back, right? And black people are like, yeah. And then it's like as soon as, you know, the vote's done and you have it, it's like you drop us like a hot sack of potatoes and you just like walk away from us. It's like you don't do anything for our communities, you don't do anything for like us in general. Most of the time, they don't do what they're supposed to do for black people. So it's like a, no matter what, it's gonna, they're gonna vote for us anyway because that's how we're conditioned to, work for, to vote for uh, Dem Democrats. You say Barack Obama did anything to improve your life over no. that eight years? No, not at all. Did nothing for me. In the eight years he was president, do you think he made a significant uh, improvement in your day to day life? Not, not me. Did your lives get better under Barack Obama? The only thing that has improved is that her mother's life. They, nothing has changed. Not quite. It just, we was happy to see a black person in the White House. Sure. But it didn't really, there was no big change that could we expected. Like he said, uh, yes, we can. More black people actually died in America when he became president. Right during his term? During the first term and everything. But then Barack Obama did, he was just sweet talking. Sweet talking. That was it. It's a black person in office, so we automatically just run to it and say it's a good thing. Right. When it's not, Obama wasn't a good person. He has killed children and women. But he didn't deliver. So you're saying in the inner cities, right? Yeah. Democrats are being voted for, nothing's being changed. Correct. So you're set, you're implying that we should vote for Republicans. It's just unbelievable. People just vote for what the media and social media tell them. Some off-the-wall stuff before I go into my clothes. No more tape tests. If you pass your PT test and crush it, basically get a 80% or better, you don't have to get it checked for fat anymore. This year, for the first time in ever, little fucks like me are going to get an 8.7% raise in our disability and pension, which comes out to 300 bones. Oh, yeah, Tony Likey. Tony likes a lot, even though he's applied for jobs. Um, still not 100% healthy, but I, I want to go back to work, so I've been applying and um, trying to get a rural route carrier part-time, four days a week, that turns into a full-time and it's 20 bucks an hour. It's good enough. Just something to do. Uh, pad the pension. That's what I need. Time in the field. Longer school. The Army Basic Leader course is going to get a gigantic overhaul again. Microsoft's $22 billion worth smart goggles failed for the U.S. Army. That's probably not good. Air Force shoots down Politico's narrative after Tom Compton demands answers on Jennifer Ruth Greek. Green sexual assault leak. It left the news cycle, but somebody gave that shit up. Division and corps to replace brigades. So we're going to go away from the small unit concept for deployments, which is really great. 
And of course, TRICARE is going to be cutting pharmacies you can go to, which is not good because you already raised our rates while you lowered everybody else's. I'm just saying. And last but not least, Game of Thrones Snow is coming out uh, two years from now. And that will be a series. I do not like this dragon thing. I don't get into it. But so let's let's go through some things. We're, we're in that time where we all are reflecting about what it's been like the last two years. This is pretty much a good representation of what Biden Harris has done for us. All the while, our media keeps saying they don't pick sides. But clearly, they do pick sides. They're picking the Democrat side on every issue. While we're being lied to about inflation, price of oil, we all need to go to green energy, he's doing infrastructure even though nothing's been built, we're being told 90% of straight men refuse to perform oil sex on a feminine penis due to bigotry. She dresses like a girl, so I'm still supposed to suck that dick. No, that's not how it works. I should sit down to pee. 98% of straight mans won't fuck trans women because they got dicks. Refer back to this. I don't want to suck a dick. Thus, I don't do this. And no, I'm not sitting to pee unless I'm taking a shite. And we're in this now. So ballsy that as they were going after impeachment for Trump... For being an insurrectionist, even though we now know that Nancy Pelosi knew what was happening, the FBI didn't even think it was that big a deal, Antifa had changed clothes and started it and broke the windows, but people came in, so they're wrong. We rounded up 800 fucking people. Some of them have been seen without any defense trial or bail. They were telling us they rigged the election. We now know that they're going after pro-life groups, kind of like what they did when they went after the IRS against groups. Do you remember that? That was Obama, because it's election time. We now know the president has, two times that we know of, done the very same thing Donald Trump did to get impeached. We also know that the Hunter Biden fucking laptop is 100% true, and he's a fucking big guy. But we're going after people singing on the floor in Brentwood, Tennessee. We know that Google is suppressing all stories. Twitter's suppressing stories. Facebook's suppressing stories. They're suppressing email campaigns for fucking Republicans and sending them to spam. We know the jig is up and they're fortifying another election. And all media... 100% 100% blitz, vote dim or you're going to die. And to me, that's that's the most fascist shit we've ever done. We've had a president say shit behind the podium that everybody that doesn't agree with them is a fucking terrorist. That was the red speech. You can say he meant mega, but then when you include you don't for fucking baby born abortion... Open fucking borders. 
Four million, four million private pile have come in our goddamn country, committed crimes, stabbed, murdered, car accidents, DUIs, been fucking deported a hundred times, come right back, and that's the four million we know about. In there, terrorists. And what does our media do? Nothing. They're not there. There's no kids in cages under Biden, even though there are kids in cages. Just like there were under a bummer. We can't have a democracy like this. We can't have a democracy when the entire media complex is just the fucking communication arm of fucking one party. Papong Yang doesn't have it as good as Biden does. Everything that dribbles out of his mush mouth is a fucking lie, a stretch. I mean, he's now been in a black Puerto Rican, Indian. His neighborhood was like the fucking melting pot of the world. He stood in front of cameras and said, we must help and protect the rights of senior trans people. If only 0.06% of the fucking country is trans, how many of them are 90-year-old? And don't even get me started on the COVID where you're still lying about everything. You're saying it's safe for babies, but we know it fucks up women's fucking cycles. Thus, it's hurting the baby in the womb. We know that it didn't stop anything. It didn't stop the spread. It didn't stop you from not getting it. It just fucked you up. Our country is in a mess. And it's not because of mega. It's not because of the Proud Boys. Three percenters. Fucking boogaloos. White supremacy that they can't find. When the FBI has to be convinced that somehow January 6th was worse than three months, three billion, six hundred injured, 36 cops killed carnage that was the summer love. The jig is up. And if the American people don't go to the ballot and vote all these motherfuckers out, Republicans aren't better. They're not any better. They're useless. They've done nothing about this. They've stopped none of this. They fucking defended us not. But they cannot continue to have power. None of these motherfuckers. I mean, I'm hopeful when I see AOC getting douched on by our own people. And until we can make sure that our politicians don't go to Washington and stay in perpetual election cycle and somehow every one of them become a fucking millionaire, we're never going to fix this goat fuck and we need to fix it. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Share this with family and friends. Go to thoughtpodcast.com where you'll find links to this show and all shows either audio or video our next podcast will be the 19th of august august october year of our lord 2022 the day after my big sis in colorado's birthday hopefully i'll be upright i'm getting a allergy test it'll be interesting to see what happens 
Sometimes people really get fucked up by them. So it's on the 17th. So I should be okay. Thank you all for listening. Take care out there. Fall is here. Enjoy the pumpkin spiciness of it. Oh, that shit's fucking stupid. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening. Bye.